I prefer Fitzgerald. He only suggests violence. Well, Faulkner was just telling it like it is. I guess some people enjoy violence, lead perverted lives. And speaking of perversion... It's the invasion of the podcast. First you'll experience dizziness, <coughs> then mild paralysis, and then total cardiac arrest. You've drugged me. No, dear. I've killed you. And welcome to Evasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. Uh, my name's Paul, and to my left is uh, Mr. S. Hello, everyone. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm trying to, like, my phone started going off, and I was trying to, right as the intro started, so I was trying to make sure that everything's silenced and taken care of. Yeah, I'm not, I am not professional. We don't have mute buttons, like, so we just try to stay quiet, so I'm sure you guys have heard varying uh, uh, drinks being opened or <laughs> sneezing or belching during openings, but yeah, we're going to be talking about the uh, made-for-TV film um, Trilogy of Terror, which aired on ABC in, um, I have the date here, it was 1975. Yeah. Uh, this will be a fun one. I've never seen this before until we talked about this. Uh, yeah, we're going to get into that. We have um, we have some uh, stories Steve does not know about, news-wise. News we have uh, a game Steve does not know about. I'm leaving him in the dark for a lot of this. I, I think it's a lot more fun that way. Yeah, I mean, and it's also less prep for me. I just show up. Yeah, no, it's just fine. It's just like, uh, do you remember that uh, that skill in Saturday Night Live where Chris Farley was a tourist and like Japan ends up on the game show and does not understand what's going on at all no. around him? <laughs> and uh, Mike Myers plays the Japanese game game show host and like it's, he's like he, and the entire time Chris Farley's like I don't know what's going on and they're asking <laughs> questions that I feel like that's that's the situation I put you in now so. Um, yeah, uh, so I want to get it right out the gate here. We talked last episode when Steve talked about him being um, this amazing singer, and I was like, we should go do karaoke, karaoke, uh, karaoke, and he's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. I, he don't let him lie to you. He has some pipes. Uh, he he came in and uh, wild uh, the crowd at the the bar I went to on uh, Friday for my delayed birthday party. And yeah, like everybody was losing their mind for uh, for your singing at the karaoke. <laughs> I don't think that was the case. I don't more so than me. I can tell you that. <laughs> I don't think I saw anybody lose their mind. Um, yeah, I, I lost my mind. I was in the back corner. I was in my mind. <laughs> I did the Richard Cheese version of uh, "Down with the Sickness." So yeah, I uh, I I I knew that. Uh, you know, I wasn't going to be able to do Metallica nearly as well as the gentleman who did it uh, before me, uh, like an hour previously. So the, there I was to... some like AAA talent, yeah, and that's why I love that bar that I, I go to every so often because it's like you get like these guys are like you're you're just you're just shitting us, right? You actually are like a professional singer. You're just coming in and singing your own songs and knocking <laughs> us all down. Like there was that, that young lady that did a, a Rihanna song that was amazing. Yeah. And it's like, she did a uh, diamonds. Um, I think it was shine like a diamond. Yeah. Just amazing. And I'm like, Oh, well, I was going to go murder a cat while I sang, uh, <laughs> um, Stone pilots. Yeah. And you know, I know it wasn't great, but I, I like singing it and whatever, but you, yeah, you and, and, and your, uh, your wife, uh, Killed it, and I, I was just up there killing it, as in like the songs and people's will to live. <laughs> yeah, my wife uh, sang a song from Hamilton, and she was all up in it and excited and 
had uh, like crowd participation. Good, because so, yeah. she she kept saying like, "Oh, are people going to be into this?" I'm like, I was like, "Look at the crowd." There was a lot of you know, like uh, ladies in the like. I'm sure they've all heard Hamilton in the moment. Like that is the, that is a good like thing. If you pick a song from a musical that's like white hot popular, yeah, you're going to get that like sing along participation. You know, so well even the second song I, I picked was a car song. I don't even know the girl that was up there near me, and I'm like, "You're singing with me," and I, that's that's how I get. <laughs> That's how I get when I start drinking. I'm like, everybody's my friend, and it's fine. And she sang with me, and it was great. You know, like you know, she she brought like the sex appeal, and and I was the Make a Wish kid up there singing a song. So, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. But don't let don't let Steve lie to you. He has uh, he has some pipes. Yeah, I mean, just you know, this amazing voice that you're hearing now. Just think of that singing, and and you get uh, don't, you get do, the full effect. You guys better be listening to this show in a cold shower. That's what I gotta say. <laughs> about all that um so yeah so part of our weekend was uh me uh drinking a lot at a bar and singing terribly and buying drinks for people i don't know which is something i do like it's just great i'm just like yeah what's going on i'll buy drinks like i i'm that guy i'm always just like oh you talk to me and you've been nice to me and we have like like a common connection of we're at a bar you're getting a drink that's all like just you know I need to go to the bar with you more often. Apparently, uh, uh, yes, I will buy. I will buy drinks. That's what happens. <laughs> um, so, um, and then the rest of my weekend, uh, I went to uh, Baycon, which uh, I mentioned last week. Uh, Spelled uh, B A E. Yeah, I was just I was really hoping there was bacon at Baycon, and there was not. <laughs> it's uh, Bay Village. It was their like little like um, it was some. Oh, what was it? Their art center. Uh, a friend of the show, Jeff Ritchie, who is an amazing individual, and he was he was the first person to say no, but he is. He kind of willed this thing into existence where it is like a mini little like comic convention, but he teaches art to a lot of younger people and actually had their art on the walls and another and some other people that were teaching these classes too. They had their students art up on the walls. But he also had like a little artist row with all the kids so they can come up and get like sketch cards done of mm-hmm. everything. And I think I have it in my wallet still. I'm going to pull this out right now. So uh, so Jeff's daughter, who, like, his kids are, are awesome. Like, I I will never be a father, but it's like, if I ever hoped, it would be, like, best case scenario. But so his daughter <laughs> made a new uh, Invasion of the Podcast nice. logo for us. That's you got to share that on the page. <laughs> I will. I love it. I love I love the little crooked smile of the alien. <laughs> it's, uh, so she drew that for me, like, unprovoked. And she... <laughs> I, so all these all these kids were doing sketch cards like that, like the small like baseball card size cards, and then there was like a, an area off to the side that had these easels with paper, and people were posing like they had different cosplayers there. Like you could draw a stormtrooper or the Joker or whatever. Like it was a lot of fun. There were some vendors there. Um, and then there was me off in the little courtyard area with a microphone trying to entertain people. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I did some, like, I did some like interviews with some of the people that were there. Like, um, uh, we were talking before the show where I don't know where I put it at Uh, over here. Sorry. Off, off mic. Can I drop the book? Um, anyway. Off mic, drop the book. I, I met the the people behind Vagabond Comics. They put out a uh, book every six months called Vagabond Comics. Uh, you guys can find them at um, was it? Uh, let's see here, um, at Vagabond Comics. So like, look it up. There, the, these two uh, wonderful ladies that put together this collection of um, like anthology stories, and they they self publish. And it's pretty cool stuff, and I'm hoping to have them on the show. They they felt super awkward being in front of a microphone in front of people, but that's what I'm there for is to make dumb jokes to make everybody feel better. But, yeah, like um, some cool stuff. And so there was a bunch of kids there. We're going to do some trivia. Steve, you'll appreciate this. This is why I'm going to tell the story. 
I didn't know what to do. Like, I like I'm okay with kids if like we are interested in the same things. Like, I'm like, oh, you like comics? I could talk to you. Oh, you like video games? I could talk to you. I'm like, oh, I have no point of reference other than that. I'm so bad around kids. I really, really am. <laughs> I, I so I was really trying. Made a bunch of trivia, and at one point, like I like so Jeff had printed out like all his trivia questions, and there's a lot of Batman stuff in there. And one of them was, uh, what separates Batman from other superheroes? Like, and the answer was, he doesn't have superpowers. That's the answer. And the kid gave me the answer. I was like, okay, good. And I was like, also, he doesn't have parents. Oh God. <laughs> and and the people like the grownups and like this crowd like wasn't a very big crowd. I I just heard. Boo! Oh. <laughs> like, like I heard this like immediate negative reaction. Yeah, it, it was amazing. <laughs> I like how you asked the question and then like for a second there, I thought you were gonna let me answer it, and then you're like, he might not know the answer. So no, I just thought you would be like, well, no, it's like yeah, there's a lot of things to separate him. Like you know, like you know, like one, one of the other questions I asked too was like, hey, uh, what is uh, what's Mario's brother's name? Luigi. And I was like, that's not the right answer. It's green Mario. Because if you remember from like the original Mario Brothers game, it just was Mario with like a different color, like yeah. jumpsuit. And all the kids were mad at me. Like it was great to ha- kind of have like some pushback. Like like I was not heckling the kids, but I was like, you know, it was it was fun. Like, but uh yeah, I tried my best to try to connect with kids and I maybe it worked. I have no idea, but like the fact that like I made a dead parents joke <laughs> went over well. I mean, I got a reaction. Um, no, it was, it was a lot of fun and a big turnout, and it was just cool. And it just made me think, like, like how I wish I would have had something like that growing up because I did, do, I did do a lot of drawing growing up. I was always doing something. It would have been nice to have like an outlet where you get to, you get that comic con like treatment. Yeah, and people ask you to draw things, you just draw it. Like it would be. Not that like you know like obviously there's like, there's a skill level as you grow up and keep going, but there's an encouragement level there that I never had that would have been like, I just makes me wonder like, like what if yeah. not, not, not that I'm saying I'd be like the next, you know, <laughs> whatever, but <laughs> like it was just, that was a really cool idea. And you could tell the kids were like glowing and popping for everything. And it was a lot of fun. And Jeff is just awesome. Like he is like, like the nicest guy in the world and always like, he just is always wants to make everybody like feel good and happy and celebrate what they can do. And it, and, and it was a, a very successful day. It was a lot of fun. Um, the little courtyard area had like, you could look out into like Bay village and like this one area that was like part of like their parks and like the, the, the leaves were all changing colors and the background looked like, like, like every high school senior photo, like, and, but the 501st was there, which that's like the local star Wars like group. And so you had like Darth Vader stormtroopers with like this wonderful autumnal background, <laughs> like, <laughs> these nice golden shafts of light and the trees were on fire and you had Vader just sitting there. Like it was really, this is one of those moments that you just take and separate from reality. And you're like, this is weird. Like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, uh, I was unfortunately unable to make it. I covered before that uh, we were working with Dog Trainer for our puppy Bosco that day. Um, The only other thing that I did on the weekend was uh, Saturday night, my wife and I went out to Fremont, Ohio to visit the Haunted Hydro. Have you ever heard of the Haunted Hydro? No. It's a a haunted house that's uh, basically set up uh, where an old uh, hydroelectric plant was. Oh, okay. Yeah. I thought it was just like a fire hydrant that was spooky. You're like, oh, we're going to go. That would be good, but uh, this was better, thankfully. So was it a good haunt? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, they're in their thirtieth year. So my my wife and I, I think we went there on our third date like nine years ago. So um, we had friends of hers who wanted to go because they hadn't been. Um, and we were like, yeah, we've been wanting to. We we like to hit as many haunted houses as we can uh, in October. Unfortunately, this October has just been crazy. So this is pretty much our only chance to hit one. Um, so we went out to Fremont, um, and uh, there's two mazes, uh, or I'm sorry, two events. Events? I don't know if that's the correct word. Attractions. Sorry, two attractions. <laughs> uh, one of them is a maze, um, which it's not really a maze. It's, you know, it's not like you can get lost in there. They make sure that you can find your way out. Um, and then the other it's one. It's just an inconvenient hallway. Right. <laughs> And then the other one was, uh, you know, the actual attraction itself inside and um, some pretty good scares. It's funny because my wife's friend was, you know, like, oh, you know, I want to be scared. I want something to, like, scare me, you know, putting on this very tough persona. And we weren't there, I don't know, maybe five minutes. And she screamed, like, four times in that time. And I'm like... (laughs) You are not as tough as you think you are. (laughs) Very sweet woman, but uh, I was like, man, she's going to be like a super hard ass. It's going to be really hard to get a scare out of her. And I don't know, like just people walking up to her seemed to scare the hell out of her. So, Like what was she expecting to be like easily dismissive of? Like, oh, these table place settings aren't in the right order. That doesn't bother me. Well, no, it was like. uh, Oh, is this a tombstone pizza? Like, you know, like what? So like there was one of the guys, and I will say this, like I wish I would have done this because I am too old to do it now. Um, I I wish I would have worked at like a haunted house when I was younger because I see those people and how they, you know, do it for, you know, they're open for relatively like five to six hours. Probably don't get much breaks. Yeah. Um, It's cold most of the time. Uh, And they're doing the same thing, yelling at the top of their lungs or trying to scare you, chase you, whatever. So they're like active that entire time. Like I got tired just looking at people. Uh, as we were walking through, I'm like, God, <laughs> I can't even imagine like having to do that for five hours straight. But uh, there was this guy, like as we were walking in, he was uh, dressed as like a, I don't know, a spooky clown or whatever. Like it was like or, a, or you could just say the words a regular clown. Well, it was it was sort of like a. Um, I don't know, like a modern clown. Modern a clown. modern clown. You know, was, a clown he, for today's sophisticated taste. He was, he was wearing like a leather jacket and a rockabilly clown, I guess, maybe a might be the best way clown. to put it. Uh, but uh, he had like these shin pads on and he would run at you and like slide and it would cause sparks to come out from underneath his legs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was really cool. But again, like. Because that was the first thing that scared her, because she didn't see him coming, and he came out of nowhere, and then there was just sparks flying, and like, yeah, she she let out a, a really big yell. Um, but when it comes to just people within the haunt, you know, who are, you know, in makeup that entire time, and just working, <laughs> you know, relentlessly for the next group of people who are coming in in the next, like, minute, minute and a half, or whatever... Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I wish I would have done that cause I think it would have been a fun experience to have, but knowing now just my age that I get tired at the mere thought of it, <laughs> I couldn't do it. Like so. the, the, the person sliding on their knees, like they don't realize that they've, they've crippled themselves later in life. Like they don't realize it yet. I played baseball for six years as a kid and I was a catcher for predominantly most of those years. My knees still crack. Yeah. And, and that was 30 years ago. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not kidding. Like, oh. if I like, it freaks my wife out because if I like bend down at the knees, my knees will crack. And that was like not like like the long term playing of baseball. Like, no, yeah. no, it's not like I was. You know, I didn't even play in high school. I played up until junior high. Yeah. Well, I, I I did participate in Haunted House when I was in high school. Um, it was indoors, so it wasn't like weather dependent, and I helped with a lot of things, so I didn't do a lot of scaring. So it was fun, but yeah, like you know, it, it, you, after a while, you get tired of doing the same thing over and over again, like anything. Um, but when I was in college, I I decided to be bold and ask out a girl on a date, which was not something I did. Um, I'm lucky I'm married now. Um, this is whatever. You did go to a Christian boys' school. So. I, yeah, I did. Well, no, I went to a Christian <laughs> college. Yes, I mean boys' school. Oh, were, were, yeah. were there women allowed there? Yeah, they were. Okay, the I impression just, you, I got from last episode was you that there make, were not. You couldn't make eye contact um, or even acknowledge their existence or let them vote. No, that's not true at all. Um, but so, but the college I went to. There was a lot of like there was it was called, basically called a suitcase college, meaning that everybody would just go home on the weekends and that'd be it. So, um, but there would be some local people that would go to the school, and so like the mixing of like locals and like people that lived on campus was kind of odd. Like it's not like your typical thing. Like if they lived in an actual town, you didn't really talk. It was just like. It was like an extension of high school. I'm don't sure. Don't talk for to the townies. Well, I don't know. It was just this thing where it's like, oh, you live nearby. It's just, it was, I don't know. It was just kind of a thing, right? Okay. And and, and just I asked this girl, and she's like, sure. And uh, and she's like, well, I need a date as well for my friend. So I asked my buddy Chad, who uh, I still know, and you've you've met my my friend Chad. Uh, he helps out at my summer event. Uh, we call him the Grill Dad because he is a dad now. You know, just the, yeah. most, the most dads of all dads, right? And he's like, sure, I'll go. And I think he was actually kind of like seeing somebody at the time. He's like, but I'll. I'll go on this double date for you and i'm like i appreciate it about halfway through we realized that like or i realized that this girl's not interested in me whatsoever so so chad bless his heart was trying to still like make it fun we're waiting in this long line in the middle of the haunted house he looks at me he was like hey you know what my favorite halloween word is i'm like what he's like goblins <laughs> it's like he just decided to tell me his favorite words, goblins, in the middle of this line, <laughs> and I cracked up, and like the girls were having none of it, like because like the one, like his his date was trying to like talk to him, and he just didn't care. Like it was like yeah. he wasn't being like dismissive, but it was like I'm here for my buddy, and I'm going to have fun. But it was just I had more fun with my friend Chad than the date I had that night. So that was my Halloween story, goblins, goblins, goblins. Uh, so yeah, uh, glad that you had fun at your haunt. I. Uh, yeah, I went to Baycon and I played video games. All I took Monday off because I didn't know how how stressful Sunday would be. Uh, and I uh, I told you I think I, I know you, you don't play Borderlands, but I finished Borderlands three. Oh, thank God! I know I know you're you're worried about that. Um, I'm still playing it because there's more things to do. No, uh, no, you've finished it. You're done now. No, I'm still playing it. Um, I just want to mention to you, I like so I'm trying to let me let me just phrase it this way. Um, it would be like. So I finished the game and it was like, it's a lot of fun, but it's very much very like sophomoric. You like, like just like dick and fart jokes the entire time. But then in the last like five minutes, it tries to get like super serious okay, and wrap up on like this very like, you know, like meaningful note. And it ends up playing like this song at the end where you're like, oh, like I'm, I'm and, and I don't want to give spoilers because I know there's some people still working on it that listen to the show. Uh, but it's like, that's the song they're going to go with. Like, it was like this, like, Oh, this is supposed to be like this big inspirational, like, oh shit, someone really paid the price for for others. I'm like, 
the whole game never gave that vibe the entire time. Uh-huh. And it was like, how do you how do you try to pivot into like a meaningful ending whenever you have jokes every five seconds? Like 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 poop jokes, dick jokes, like every type of joke. There's a character you run into in this post-apocalyptic wasteland that's basically Tommy Wiseau that wants to get his sh- film shown. Like and he's like, oh hi, Vault Hunter. Like he affects the Tommy Wiseau like okay. voice. And it's like this game is nothing but like tongue in cheek the entire time. And you're gonna give me like the serious ending? Like it didn't feel it felt like whiplash finishing it. So I, I'm still playing it because you can do more after and get better gear. But I'm like, really? I don't I don't feel like that was earned. Like, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't try to think of a way to just, like to finish. It'd be like if Deadpool ended on like a very serious note, like a very somber. And like you'd hear like unironically Celine Dion, like okay. something like it would be like, oh, I'm supposed to give a shit now. Like it would be like, you know, not that I'm saying like the both Deadpool movies don't have like a through line that actually like matters, but it'd be that kind of thing of like, no, 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 no. Now we're serious. Like it just felt really weird. That's so, and also I'm just going to throw this out here, Steve. So, um, I know you and Ryan do your book science slasher and I'm sure you'll give some thanks. Uh, will you ever include like pets that you own and like kids that were born during the make of the science slasher? Uh, I don't think we have. I know. In video games, it's been happening more and more where they, they have a thing called production babies, where they list all the names of the, the goddamn kids that did nothing to make the game, but they happen to exist during the process of making the game. Okay. And I'm like, and this goes on for like a while, and I'm like, I get it. This game takes three to five years to make. You have a family. You've added to it. Why is their name in the credits? I I don't know. I I've never paid attention. I I don't know that I've ever actually like if I finished a game and there's credits, I've not sat and watched them. But it, it but it's like you, when you watch Infinity War or like Endgame, it's like Endgame babies. It's like that. No, you don't see that. It's only a video game thing that I don't understand why that's a thing. I don't understand it. I can't help you with this quest. <laughs> I have no, I have no knowledge that I can. I feel like I, added, I, can I feel like I've added more by finishing the game than the baby did by existing. I feel like that's where I'm at with that. So, wow, anyway. hot take. That's a hot take. Paul doesn't oh, like babies in but, video games. Paul, but, no, Paul doesn't like babies. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're included in the credits of video games. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt it was like one of those things where I'm like, really, Borderlands? This is where, like, you're going to end this on? Like, I just felt it just felt a weird. It just felt like, oh, we're going to be super serious and we're going to make you like feel like, oh, this person's sacrifice means a lot. And then when you hear all this stuff, you're like, by the way, here's some goddamn babies that showed up while making the game, you know, so that was my weekend. I got mad at babies and I drank and I uh, said Batman's parents were dead in front of some kids and some parents. Pretty much I'm the greatest human that's ever existed. You had a banner weekend. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Anything else for the weekend? And how, how's 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 the dog? How's the boss go? Um, I mean, he's he's good. Um, it's still an ongoing struggle. We'll we'll just leave it at that. Um, okay. So you've you've worked him up from like you know dish rags. Like you're like you can get back to the towels later. Like just pocket squares at first. Yes. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he, he's, yeah. well, you said the stitches are healed, right? So yeah, you're working the, on the, the behaviors. Yeah. But uh, part of the issue that we're having too is, is he gets 
possessive sometimes of things that he shouldn't have. And my wife is really worried that he's going to turn into like a mean dog. And I'm like, I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, there's no way for me to assuage her fears. And, it, you know, it will go three, four days without an incident. And then he'll get something that he shouldn't, like paper towels or whatever. You go to take him away from him, he'll start growling at you. So I, I it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's 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 not going to be something that we're going to just have fixed, unfortunately, in another week or so. And, um, you know, we're realizing now that we're probably not going to even put up a Christmas tree this year simply because we can't risk it with him. <laughs> So that's fair, but you just you just see like where'd all the where'd all this tassel go? And it's just like gone into the yeah dog. yeah. I mean that's that's literally what we're afraid of. So um, yeah, you could do the thing where you just put the lights like you make the shape of a tree on the wall. Like have you seen that before? Like you have like the apartments where people just string the like a shape of a tree up on the wall, and that's I, it. I have not. I mean, I guess we'll consider that. I don't know. I don't know. Like, or you could do a festivus pole like an aluminum I mean maybe rod. that's what we're gonna have to do because uh there's no way that he's gonna be able to exist in the same plane <laughs> with uh <laughs> what will essentially look like a tree full of uh you know treats to him oh so. well that I mean to be fair we have our small cat who likes to get into everything and the prospect of a Christmas tree is always daunting because she just views everything as a challenge. So, yeah. like, but she doesn't eat it. But she's she loves knocking things over and making them hidden. Right. Like, like this morning, I'm like, she was digging under our coffee table in our living room. I'm like, what? Are you, what? There's nothing there. And I moved the coffee table. Nothing there. I lift it. It was caught under, and it was like a little tiny like mouse toy that we've not seen in forever. That she somehow jammed under the coffee table, and the moment I freed it, she took it in her mouth and ran off into another room. So I have no idea where this ended up at next. But yeah, so <laughs> yep, cats own you. You don't own them. So <laughs> yeah. all right, so all right, that's going to do it. Uh, I, th- that's for our weekends. Uh, we uh, I I turned away some parents and kids. I played some Borderlands and felt the ending was uh, not earned. And yeah, and I uh, drank some because that's what I do. Uh, and Steve has the voice of a songbird of this or any generation, so we know that. So, yeah. Yeah, I I got nothing else. (laughs) Good news, everyone! So this this kind of like this is a story that kind of feeds into a bigger thing, and I don't know if we're equipped to talk about it, but I I do want to get your reaction to it. uh, Tarantino holds firm, won't recut Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for China because there's the sequence where Brad Pitt's character actually tells, well, he remembers the time where he had a face-off with Bruce Lee and it becomes a fist fight and it doesn't go the way that Bruce Lee is expecting. And China wants that whole sequence cut before the film was actually shown in China. Okay. And Tarantino, with his deal with Sony, has final cut. So he's like, no, it's staying in. So the film's not actually going to be released in China. Um, there's been a lot of things recently with China and the, the whole big uh, like protests and revolts in Hong Kong. That's really complicated political situation. But we're, we're, there's a whole thing with the NBA. I don't know if you heard about that recently, where like like some people were speaking out and others weren't, and China kind of like started shutting down like promotional opportunities for the NBA in China. And it's a, such a it's all connected. Um, so. My question to you, because we don't have any skin in the game, we're not making billions off of a market that's untapped. How do you feel about like 
the integrity of an artist being like, no, this is the way I wanted to make, even though Sony's aware of how much money they're not making, but they made a deal with the person making the film of like, you have final cut. This film was never going to be really, well, maybe eventually not right now though. Like, uh, I mean, when it comes to, you know, that deal that Sony made, I guess, you know, they're going to have to, uh, deal with it. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I I don't know the context of the scene. I'm not sure. I've heard that also that uh, his portrayal of uh, uh, the way that Bruce Lee is portrayed in the film is completely false. Supposedly, but but the whole um, film was kind of like a fairy tale telling. So it's like Tarantino can tell whatever version of Bruce Lee that he wants. So like, I mean, yeah, I suppose. But at the same time, why? Because he's Tarantino. Is that it? That he like and i'm not saying you know one way or the other but you know it's like uh I, i'm well, trying to find so, so so you're saying so the estate of bruce lee like his daughter and other people are like that's not how he was so they're defending like the character of bruce lee in the film that, th- of course they have they have they have they have a lot of at stake to be like no he wasn't like this but there might have been other people who have been like no 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 he was a cocky son of a gun and felt that like he couldn't lose and he's going to challenge the stunt double on a back lot to a fight. Like, not that I'm saying that the story actually took place because, you know, Tarantino wrote it, but is that out of line for maybe other people's like characterization of this person? It's the estate pushing back, not, you know, so they, is it, is the fact that it's Bruce Lee integral to the story? No, not at all. It's very, it's just like, it just, it just reaffirms, uh, Brad Pitt's character of being like knowing who he is, not wanting to get involved. However, if someone's going to call him out on his shit, he's going to he's going to uphold it. Not not even call out on shit. I should say that he like Bruce Lee was the one kind of like strutting his stuff, mm-hmm. and Brad Pitt's character's like, yeah, we'll prove it, kind of thing. And he's like, oh, you want to go right now? He's like, sure. And then they have this big fight sequence, and it's pretty great seeing Brad Pitt like like I, when I think of like choreographed fight choreography, I don't think of Brad Pitt, but he holds it, like it's really cool looking, right? And it becomes like this kind of like throwdown in the middle of all these like, you know, like production workers on a, a Hollywood set for like um, the Green Hornet mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's like it, it's it's funny because there's all this other connotation around it where Brad Pitt's character should not be stirring the pot. Like it's been established well before. Don't bring him on set. He causes problems. And then Bruce Lee's the one like begging for it. And then so he finishes it. And then Kurt Russell comes in and is like like. Just like, what did you do? Like type of thing. It's a fun sequence. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. If does it besmirch China? I don't know. But Bruce Lee is like you know like a legend at this point. Um, it doesn't affect the film whatsoever. It just builds more of Brad Pitt's character. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I I don't have any. I mean, if Sony wants to make films with Tarantino and that's the deal they made, I guess they're going to have to live by it. Like, but um, I guess this reaches to a bigger thing. Like Paramount has made deals with China. Like when you look at like their, the Transformers films, there's a lot of like stuff that takes place in China. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of references to like there, there's like a coconut water or something that like some of the characters will drink. That's a very prominent like product placement in China. Uh, there's like, there's all this like popular pro China, like even Iron Man three, they even brought in like Chinese like actors and like to play roles in that film that like the like that weren't like like important to the story, but they had to give them FaceTime. Like mm-hmm. because of the production deal they made. Um 
I don't I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem of them saying, "Oh, you can't show this here because this 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 this." You know, like there's an animated film and um, abdominal ab- abdominal. That's not right. That <laughs> it, it deals with like the pecs. No, it's that recent CG DreamWorks film with like this like um with the Sasquatch that came out a couple Abominable? months ago. Yeah, that's it. Not not abdominal. That's not the right words. Um, so supposedly that film's being like not shown in countries that are uh, China adjacent because there's a map shown in the film that is showing the supposed territory of China. They do this big, like they call it the, what was it the, the seven or nine dashes that shows their territory, like going out into the various oceans around. And it's including territory that other people believe don't belong to China, but it's like accepted by the Chinese mainland that this is like their territory. But because of that, like other countries around it are like, nope, this film's not being shown here because we don't want to give a foothold to that belief system. And it's just an animated film about a Yeti. Okay. You know, like it's very, it's very weird, you know, like, so, so Steve, solve all this geopolitical conflict yeah. right now. Just <laughs> I mean, I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I guess that country can make its decisions and I, I don't know when it comes to Tarantino or I guess any filmmaker, you know, I'm sure that there's a lot of things that they have to either make concessions towards or things that they have to do to play the game. And I, I honestly, I don't know. Is Tarantino like a huge draw in China? Is... So, so as this article on um, Variety states that um, uh, he ran afoul, Tarantino ran afoul of the higher ups in the country with uh, Django Unchained, and ultimately agreed to make some uh, uh, excisions and eliminated scenes of graphic violence and nudity. Um, and after the film was yanked from release over there. It didn't matter much when it was re-released in its edited form. It went on to be a flop in China. So I think he's almost like, it doesn't matter. Like, right. this is my vision. It doesn't translate over there. Which is interesting because, like, a lot of his influence is, like, Chinese and, like, Japanese, like, filmmaking. And it's, like, for whatever reason, it's not going to resonate. So it's almost, I probably he probably thinks, like, you're not going to make the money anyway. So why, why erode what I wanted? You know, but there's this bigger looming thing of like the Chinese market being a big influence, right? Like, like, um, the Warcraft film, uh, which I know you've not seen, uh, kind of flopped everywhere else. It was hugely successful over there enough to where it actually made a profit for the company as a whole that for legendary and that they're on the bubble about making a sequel because the Chinese market, like it's just, it's, it's an interesting thing to discuss because it's like, how do you, how do you make an appealing film worldwide whatever there is like the strict not even strict but like unspoken like well you can't do that here you can't do that here you know like i don't know how much that actually speaks to like artistic integrity yeah i mean like i said i'm sure that there are a lot of concessions that artists have to make um particularly in hollywood whether it be the way they make the con- their content, the things that are included, the way the film is is made, uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of that that goes into it. Uh, if you're asking me, like as an artist, do I stand by Tarantino's decision to say screw it, I'm not changing it? Absolutely, it's his prerogative. He's got you know, uh, he's got his his uh, you know director's cut or his say so on the film. 
Final cut is the word I was looking for. His say so. Um, when it comes to Sony, they're going to have to be smarter about how they're going to do business in the future. Then, like that's uh, clearly, if this was something that they were concerned about, that's probably something they should have dealt with Tarantino in the first place. Yeah. Or they accept the fact that, like, okay, this isn't going to play in China or wherever simply because there's a demand for uh, a change to be made to the film that'll. Whether it be hurt the integrity of the film or well, so change the content. The remake, know? the remake of Red Dawn, um, was supposed to be um, like Chinese. The Chinese were coming over because that was the original Red Dawn. Like the Russian, the Chinese got together and whatever. So they actually went back through these huge like over in post production and changed the whole thing to be like North Korea, like because they knew China would be upset about like staging the film again with them being the attackers mm. and that film didn't do well. I don't know if it's because it was not good or not, but I'm sure it didn't help it, you know, like in terms of like, we're just telling a what if story and people are getting, I just censorship is a weird thing. And it's because I feel like where we're at, it doesn't happen. Like it does happen, but not, not to the way where, it's almost like we have to watch what we're doing like every three seconds. Um, but o- other countries, it's a constant worry. Well, I mean, I think back to a month ago where, you know, there was these conversations of, is it the right time for a Joker movie or more precisely a movie about a white male who, um, had a really, really bad, bad day, day <laughs> and, and loses it, you know, um, and the whole incel mentality, all that stuff. I don't know that a film playing in China or not playing in, in China is the same discussion. Um, but at the same time, again, I think it's just the the studios, if that's the ball game that they want to play in or the, the if that's how they want to play, then they're going to have to make those decisions before either putting the film out or working with a filmmaker. And Tarantino is... A rare case. There, there aren't that many filmmakers, I think, in Hollywood right now that have the power that they can does. call their shots. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I can certainly see it. Obviously, in the Marvel films, um, I think Age of Ultron had a character I don't think we've seen since who just popped up. Uh, she was like a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and she was clearly there. Which, again, I had no problem with her character or anything like that. But it. it it felt really like, hi, I'm here to be the you know token character for <laughs> another market, like that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I I don't have anything. I wish I had some sort of you know strong uh, persuasive argument one way or the other, other than you know it's on the studio, and I well I don't always agree with you know sometimes i think tarantino gets a little too much leeway on some of the things that he does but i'll, I'll back him here you know yeah no and, and yeah you know i brought up the, the bruce lee thing family thing because i honestly didn't know the context of that i just know that a lot of people seem to have a problem with it simply because they were like it's an inaccurate portrayal of him i mean to be fair i guess you know what happens to hitler and glorious bastards is, a, is an inaccurate portrayal as well so and i'll just keep saying this like until you see once upon a time in hollywood it doesn't go the places you think it would yeah so this whole thing is kind of like a I mean, when it, using the framing of Once Upon a Time, 
this is a fable version of the story, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think credits Tarantino that he can take, like, he can take what is known and be like, great, fine. This isn't, that's not my movie and do whatever, you know, like, so like, that's not the story I wanted to tell. He didn't want to be like historically accurate, but he wanted to tell his story. And, and if he weaves in and out of history to do it, then He's not he's not that far off base than other films that have played fast and loose with history. I just feel like he is being like put up higher because it's Tarantino. Like it's a known commodity and it, I don't I don't know. Like like um like even with Spielberg, like I'm sure you can find things that were not correct in Saving Private Ryan. Probably even in Schindler's List. Um, and I'm, that's not me trying to say like, oh, the factual inaccuracy is the Holocaust. No, 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 no. That's, that's all real and terrible. But I'm sure there was amalgamations. There was probably some leaps in storytelling just to get point A to point B to get the feel of what they wanted to get across, you know? And people aren't shitting all over that, you know? Like, I don't, I just... I, I just think we live in interesting times where China's such a big market that you always have to look over your shoulder and be like, well, is this going to play there? So, yeah. Yeah. So no, I guess that's not really a story that we have resolution for here in Cleveland, Ohio, in an apartment that's not, has, does not have a production capability of making a film. But, and I'm sure that this podcast will not play in China whatsoever. <laughs> if it is, you know, cool. Thanks. Um, Bruce Lee's a good dude. So there you go. That, that, that's why I'll just throw it out there, cover everything up. So next story is not really a story, but we sometimes celebrate birthdays here on the show. This is being recorded on uh, October 23rd. Uh, this is Weird Al Yankovic's birthday. Oh, nice. How old do you think he is? 63. 60. 60. You went higher than I was expecting. Um, <laughs> I knew that he wasn't like in his 40s because yeah, I'm in my 40s. And that's I true. I knew that he was older than uh, being... Just 50, so... 60 years old? Yeah. I'm not going to look that good now. Like, he, yeah. looks, he looks better at 60 than I do at 41. <laughs> That's... Yeah, and uh, he put on a hell of a show just three months ago when I saw him in July. So, yeah. uh, I know that he's, like, very, like, clean living, doesn't drink, doesn't do drugs, none of that stuff. It's clearly working for Just him. addicted to the accordion. There you no. go. Uh, uh, yeah, just... I love Weird Al. We've talked about this. I know you went to a show recently, and it's like best best concert I've been to is him. Like, and I cannot stress again how foundational he was to me in high school and like middle school of being like, it's okay to be weird and ridiculous. You know, like there yeah. was there was a thing there, right? Like, and it's easy to dismiss his his songs as like silly, and they are, but there is a real craftsmanship to them. Like, and. If it wasn't for Weird Al just blazing a trail of doing his own thing and and being like, oh, I can actually make money off of this, because there was never the expectation. This is a dude that wasn't like was it Irvine, California, that was going to school for you know architecture, and it just kept happening that he kept like making songs, <laughs> and he never expected to be a professional musician. Right. And this is his legacy. I never present. Uh, I. I was gonna make a joke about being a customer service rep in real life, uh, but uh, my my uh, unfortunately my path went different than his. Yeah, I've I've not gotten into the um, parody uh, music market, but I've definitely got into uh, like grown up boring jobs market. I can yeah. tell you that. Yeah, and, and some retail. But yeah, happy birthday, Weird Al. Um, sixty years old. Like, may you live another sixty years and keep making fun of future music. That's like yeah. that's all I can hope for. So, yeah. 
that that wasn't really a story, but we need to represent. So, um, all right, last last story here. Um, so <laughs> I'm gonna read the headline here. <laughs> this is from the Huffington Post. So, but grain of salt. Creationist Ken Ham. This is the guy who made the Noah's Ark that's in Kentucky, like the big thing you can go visit where it's like, oh, this is scientifically African, African, that's accurate, whatever. That's not, that's not a word. Um, accurate. Oh, drinking some, uh, Halloween beers before we get into trilogy of terror. This episode seems to be full of being unable to either pronounce or think of the, I was talking about abs earlier. That was not right. (laughs) And, uh, accurate. Uh, I, you know, I'm a hot mess, people. That's you should know better by now. I'm 40 minutes in. It, you should be surprised that I'm this far in without like mispronouncing words, which I am. So, uh, he's the one that made Noah's Ark uh, in Kentucky. It's supposed to be like accurate, and it's like yeah, whatever, right? Uh, he um, says creation at Ken Ham wants to, uh, wants you to threaten kids with eternal hell on Halloween. Did you see the article? You know, I think I saw the headline, and I didn't bother reading okay. it. Um, there's actually um, a pretty fascinating documentary. It's on Netflix right now about uh, Bill Nye, uh, okay. as in the science guy. <laughs> um, Bill. Bill. <laughs> Bill Nye, the <laughs> science guy. He, uh, I believe, during the course of the uh, – the documentary debates him a couple of times. I think he even visits, if I'm remembering the documentary correctly, I think I just watched it like a month, month and a half ago. Um, they, I believe he actually even goes to the Noah's Ark um, exhibit, I guess or, is the best or, way. Or the, the, the Creationist Museum is in Cincinnati. The, okay. the Ark is like in Kentucky, which is across the border from Cincinnati. So, okay, so yeah. I may be confusing the two. I'm not sure which one. Maybe, I don't know, to. but I'm just saying like, you know. Um, but when it comes to um, his take on it is, is you know, uh, I believe Ken, is that his name? Yeah. Okay. I believe his take is, is that Bill Nye is a fake scientist because he was on TV. And <laughs> Bill Nye's, you know, take is, is like, you know, this is not actually science. You can call it religion. You can call it theology. You can call it your theory of how the world began, but you can't call it actual science. Yeah. Um. So I would recommend that documentary as well because it's a fascinating look at Bill Nye. Um, But that's not really what we're talking about here. Uh, As far as (sighs) threatening children on Halloween with eternal damnation, like, I'm sorry, but, like, kids have enough shit to deal with in their lives. Let them enjoy Halloween. Yeah. Even if it's it's your goal to get them to come to Christianity or accept Christ— or whatever your goal is, like maybe don't be an asshole on Halloween. You know, I, I what, what pisses me off about this, and here's my hot take, and you, you everybody can yell at me is like, fine, if you're going to attack like people's like celebration Halloween, don't get butt hurt when when people are like indifferent to Christmas. You know, like just you 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 if you feel like oh you this is the truth. But then if you come to you and be like, oh, well, a lot of what you celebrate is like funded by Coca-Cola. You don't want to hear that. Like, it's right. just, you know, like, like you just. So what's the what is the premise behind this? That uh, is it that Halloween is a, you know, a paganist holiday or a satanic holiday? Or is there anything along those lines behind it? Because I think of, you know, obviously it's Halloween. So we spend a lot of time 
focused on the spooky things. But there are a lot of kids who get to dress up as their favorite heroes and yeah. and their you know role models and their you know whatever they're into. You know, kids might come to your house dressed as Jason, but they also might come dressed as you know Ray from Star Wars or, or Captain Marvel Jesus. or vaping Jesus, <laughs> which I again forgot to draw. But I I don't know. I just I think that like. Uh, there's so little that's you know pure and genuine that kids get to have in their lives for a, a very distinct period of time because I feel like after ten it fades quickly. Yeah. Um, although luckily when you're an adult it comes back like with a with a vengeance, um, like in my case. So, <laughs> but I just I think that you know maybe let kids have this holiday. And, you know, preach at them at church or, you know, not places that aren't candy related. I, I, I just remember uh, growing up that, like, um, there when I was in high school, my, my church, because so, um, not to get into this, but I, I was uh, fairly religious in high school and in, like, early college. Um, and we and so my, my uh, church would do a lock-in. I don't, did you ever do a lock-in? Did you ever go to a lock-in? So I sound like Jay Leno. What does what does locking? I've not been to. So we did one my senior year in high school. It's like basically where you show up at like eight o'clock at night and then you're there the rest like, of the like like a gymnasium or whatever. Yeah. And it's like oh, we're gonna keep the youths from uh, touching each other's private parts. Yeah, like for twenty four hours. It's I don't fine. believe that was the the point of it, but yeah, uh, they're for like, whatever lo- reason, it lock was... in your genitals is what the the. the, the... <laughs> No, but that was the whole thing of like watching them. Like you, unfortunately, have... I didn't have to have anybody tell me that in high school. <laughs> Nobody had to intervene. Unfortunately, <laughs> me neither. But no, I think it was just more like, hey, them youth are up to no good. We're just going to have a lock in and have some fun over the weekend and like do like a twenty four hour or basically overnight mm-hmm. like at a gymnasium where people play volleyball, basketball, whatever, and have like snacks and drinks available. And then at like five in the morning, people try to sleep and then they get mad. Yeah, yeah. So you did that once? Yeah, in high school, but it was for my high school. I think it was my senior year. They did it, if I remember correctly, like every year for the seniors. Well, I think we did one of those. I, maybe I'm confusing this, but we did something called a Hallow- Hallelujah Harvest. Okay, where it wasn't it wasn't Halloween related, but there was like apple cider and candy and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like you know, it's just they were trying to do everything that was like Halloween adjacent, but not. Which is weird because I do remember us celebrating Halloween at my my church. So maybe for whatever reason, maybe I was part of the cool church. I don't know, but the Church of Satan. No, I I think we established that it was Lutheran last episode. Um, but uh, the the S stands for Satan and Mister S. Yes, Mister Satan. No, Mr. I Satan. I just I don't know. I I just feel like you know maybe it's. Being overprotective as adults of the things that I loved as a kid, but I just, I think that, you know, kids have enough to deal with, you know, and that's the old man in me being like, you know, kids today, but I just let them have Halloween. And if you want to, if you want to hand out the Bible uh, to kids as they come to your house for Halloween, great, fine. You're probably going to get egged, but, (laughs) or toilet papered. Yeah. But threatening kids with eternal damnation for trick or treat is just it's it's bullshit. I mean, I don't have a nice way of putting it. Like I don't have a uh you know I, I don't have any sort of wisdom is it, other is than it any different it's not any different than Easter where it's like, here's a basket full of candy because your god died. 
I don't know that that's really why there's candy at Easter, but... Um, Do we know? Have you done the science? I've not done the science, okay. but uh, I'll check with Bill Nye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just, no, it's, just, it's all these appropriations, and if Halloween on the surface is like, like, if you boil it down, if you boil it down, like, and I know they're doing like the trunk or treat things now because people feel that maybe neighborhoods are maybe not the safest at like nighttime and, and whatever. Um, fine. I think there's a community aspect. I think there is a goodwill aspect. And I think there's a fun aspect of like, if your kid likes a thing, then just do it. You know, right. like, like I think there is so much good to be had there. And, like and you get to know your neighbors and you get this you know it's just I I don't the, the things people celebrate about Halloween and being scared it's like it's fun to be scared because it's like then like you get to, like you went to the haunt like or yeah. we we're talking about a scary movie tonight like there there's 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 connective tissue there between like every there's a universal thing and. To take that away, and like the the Ken Ham, he has these uh these fake dollars that he hands out. Like I'll show you the picture of it. Fake dollars. Yeah, it's um here I'll show you. It's it's ridiculous. Um, that he is encouraging people. They they can buy them on his site. That it's like a, a T Rex or some gra- garbage on this thing. It's like a billion dollars or whatever. I don't know. But on the back side of it, on the back side of the bill, it says, um, "Have you ever lied, stolen, or used God's name in vain?" If so, you've broken God's law. The penalties for your crimes against God is death and eternal hell because God is holy and just. And a T-Rex is going to eat you. I added that at the end. Um, that would be amazing, though, if it was like, you know, T-Rexes are coming for you. Yeah. Um, uh, God sees you as guilty as sin or guilty of sin. The, the penalty of sin is death and eternity in hell. And he he said, kids kids love these. Yeah, they want paper that's not candy. <laughs> saying this dinosaur says you're going to hell. Like, that's like uh, a dentist saying kids love getting toothbrushes on Halloween. Yeah, they don't. No. Uh, to anyone who gives out pennies or circus peanuts, kids don't like those circus either. Peanuts. <laughs> Which I think uh, we talked about last year, and I kept saying circus penis instead of circus circus <laughs> peanuts. You kept yeah. There was definitely a reference to circus penis. <laughs> um, I th- yeah. I, but, but yeah, I mean, this guy he can sell a whack of two hundred of these bills for nine dollars on his website, so he's making money, yeah, off of this, and it's just it it pisses me off. It's like it's the equivalent of the we used to get these handed to me. I worked at a gas station in the nineties. Um, I would say once a week we would get somebody coming in and giving us like a comic. Oh that yeah, was, what was uh, that guy's name? He, he's, that are, he recently passed away, like chick yeah, something. It's like, like uh, the old black you know, and white, like you're going to hell because you work at a gas station comic or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it was very specific. Yeah, well, no, and like I remember trick or treating. <laughs> we got that every so often. There was a lady that approached my mom with my brother and I um, about like, oh, do you know the real meaning of Halloween? It was like, yeah, to get candy, and it was like, I, I know that's not true either. That's more of a, like a twenty first, twentieth, late twentieth. But that's to, what Halloween is to kids. Yes. it's going out, dressing up, having fun, and getting candy for God's sakes. Yeah. Like, um, there, there's a, the, you, if you guys can YouTube it, there's a drunk history, um, video about the origins of modern day Halloween. That's really, really entertaining. And uh, funny. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah, it's great. It has Allison Tolman, which you might remember her from, uh, the new twilight zone episode. Uh, um, Oh, the wonder kind. She was the other political person that was with, um, John Cho's character. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. It's Allison Tolman. She's in that show. Um, not emergence whatever the abc series is out like right now that's like kind of the weird creepy something i don't know the name of the show 
I like Allison Tolman, um, but she is the main person in this uh, drunk history sketch, and it's a lot of fun talking about like the modern repurposing of Halloween. Okay. So anyway, neither here nor there. But Steve's upset that this guy's trying to ruin Halloween. I agree. That's our hot takes. You guys can challenge us <laughs> at invasionthepodcast.com. We have an email. Just email us and be like, you're full of garbage. I'm like, you don't give out good candy. I mean, I just, uh, you know, you don't see other religions doing this. You I know mean, what I mean? You don't see like Buddhists like <laughs> handing out pamphlets or dollar bills telling kids they're going to hell or, you know, uh, I don't know, Jewish. Uh, Halloween seats, is not kosher. Uh, like, yeah, like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just think it's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, you don't see a uh, flying spaghetti monster and apostafarians uh, being upset about this. I've got, yes. <laughs> Yeah. All right. You threw me with the flying spaghetti monster. So, so okay. Uh, real quick, do you know the flying spaghetti monster? No. Okay. So, <laughs> how do I get into this? I'm I'm starting to get drunk. So, uh, in the state of Kansas, they're trying to. I think teach... We should just mention real quick. Paul doesn't drive after the episode. No, I live here. I, I live here. <laughs> Steve drives. No, like you guys. I'm good. <laughs> I drive to my bed, which is the next door over. It's fine. Um, no. So in the state of Kansas, they're trying to force intelligent design into the uh, state curriculum for like education, which intelligent design was basically like creationism, but they would change the wording of it. Right. So someone was like, okay, fine. If you're going to teach intelligent design, I am going to say that this flying spaghetti monster needs to be taught also in schools. And he used the same logic, whoever prayed this, of like he causality, like basically being like two facts put side by side must mean the same thing. Sure. And so he started doing this whole argument that that in the flying spaghetti monster religion, pirates are very important because <laughs> he did he did a he did a graph that as the number of pirates have went down in the world, the number of natural disasters went up. So he's like, pirates, the more pirates there are, the less natural disasters there are. So he was trying to like make a mockery of intelligent design. So there's people out there that have adopted the flying spaghetti monster as like their religion, and they call themselves Pastafarians. Oh my god! And, and so you know the famous uh, um, was it Michelangelo painting of like uh, like what was it? Um, is it Michelangelo where it's like God touching like um, with the fingertips of like David or not David, but yeah, like, I think that's Da Vinci. Da Vinci, it's, it maybe, but someone redid that with like the flying spaghetti monster touching <laughs> man, and it says, "I have been touched by his noodly appendage" or whatever. <laughs> and so, and there's people that there's one person that actually got a licensed photo taken with a uh, pasta strainer on their head because they register as a pastafarian. Okay, like. It's amazing. You should look up. Uh, you should look up the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster. Yeah, it sounds like a deep dive. It's great. Well, you know, like the little um, fish symbols in the back of cars. Like uh, someone yeah, made the a Jesus fish. Yeah, yeah, someone's made a Flying Spaghetti Monster version of that, and it's it's the Flying Spaghetti Monster is amazing. <laughs> so, all right, um, did not get to mean. I didn't mean to get weirdly religious with this, but that happened. So, anyway, we're gonna move on to Trilogy of Terror, and all hail the Flying Spaghetti Monster. <laughs> And now for our feature presentation. All right. And to continue on our Halloween talk, or sorry, October spooky journey, we're going to be talking about a trilogy of terror, which is actually a little different than what we've been talking about previously. It's an anthology film, but it was a made for TV anthology film. Yeah. uh, In uh, March of 75, which 
I think I wedged this in. Like I think I said, we're just going to watch it. But you've you've seen this previously. Yeah, but only like a year ago was my first viewing of it. So um, it's not one that I have a significant uh, history with, like some of the other films that we've talked about. Yeah. So I so I guess I should just probably uh, put the background on this a little bit. Like I. I, you know, I I am not learned, and I don't have the the, the most uh, deepest of dives with this. However, I am familiar with this series because it is um, all three stories were based off of Richard Matheson short stories. So, this is something I've been circling for a bit on the show Strange Highways that I have done, where we've been looking into the Twilight Zone because Richard Matheson wrote a great deal for the Twilight Zone, and, and he was the host of Family Feud in the eighties. Richard Matheson? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's Richard um oh. It's Richard Dawson. Richard I Dawson. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I wish I wish there was the same person that'd be amazing. <laughs> no, and so uh um Richard Matheson who it, it, he's one of those guys we talk about like when we we talk about on the show here that there's those people that are very foundational to the things that you love. Matheson has given everybody so much you may not know who he is. I, right. I feel like he's one of those guys that did like wrote so much and influenced so much that we're going to be like, oh, shit, he did that or or at least laid the groundwork for it. That's Richard Matheson. So and he just passed away. I had to say this now uh, in uh, June of 2013, which that's been a while now. But like, you know, it was longstanding versus like the other like well, I mean, time. certainly didn't make it to the 80s, right? Like yeah, that, he died in the 70s. Oh, he didn't make it. I mean, yeah, the lung cancer got him pretty quickly. But right? what I'm saying yeah. is, is that like you would think, you know, Sterling's been dead for at least 30 years. Yeah. Put it that way. Well, I mean, but so it, it's like, surprising when you hear, oh, he only passed six years ago. Yeah, Matheson, they're for, probably when you think about same. like Bradbury and all this other like, yeah. you know, like established like sci-fi writers and horror yeah. writers. Yeah. So yeah, Matheson passing away like six years ago. Whenever he was still putting out work, um, is significant. And so, so Matheson, just to get, kind of give you guys a baseline, he wrote the books, the book "I Am Legend," which became the film, um, "The Omega Man" with uh, Charlton Heston. Uh, well, actually, "Last Man on Earth" with Vincent Price was the original one, "The Omega Man," and then "I Am Legend" with Will Smith. Um, he wrote the short story that was uh, called Duel that actually was Spielberg's first film he ever directed. Uh, he wrote um, the short story Real Steel. No, sorry, it was called Steel that whenever they did the, the film Real Steel with Hugh Jackman, like in the early like 2010s. The Rock'em Sock'em. Uh, robots one. Yeah. It was close enough that Matheson had to be like, they had to contact him and be like, how do you feel about this? And he's like, sure. And he was like, I'll take a check. Like, like <laughs> so they still had to pay him for his influence. Cause he wrote a story called steel, which involved uh, robotic boxers on the twilight zone. Uh, he wrote the terror at uh, 20,000 feet uh, that, you know, from the, you know, the Bill Shatner episode twilight zone. And then also I like the how you call him Bill Shatner. It's Bill Shatner. You gotta get, get that Bill Shatner. there. Um, Oh, what else has he done? Oh, what dreams may come? Like, like the Matheson's done a lot. Mm -hmm. So, and he was actually prolific. I, might be the word that, you would use. Absolutely, and I think he actually wrote the second most stories for the Twilight Zone. I know, like I, I've not finished the series yet, but it was between him and Charles Beaumont for the original series. I think Matheson's a little bit ahead of Beaumont, but he wrote a lot of Twilight Zone. So. But Matheson, I, I love his work because it always feels grounded. And Stephen King has said, not the Stephen King, but the other the other one, the one that's written some books, not the one that draws the, the books. The prolific one. Not prolific. You know, I mean, the other Stephen King, 
is is just a little bit more known than you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he only makes a little bit more money than I do. <laughs> I mean, you do have your summer home in Maine that you go to, <laughs> but I don't think he has the pipes that you do. I know he plays in a rock band, but I don't think he sings. Yeah, who's in his rock band? Is, uh, it's is like it a lot him? of writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Rock Bottom Remainders, I think, is the name of the I band. I feel like, for some reason, Matt Groening's in it. I don't know why, but <laughs> I could be wrong on that one. I want to believe it. Yeah. I want to believe it. Um, so, uh, Matheson is is a pretty big deal. So, if you guys, if, if no one, if you're not familiar with him, look him up. I love his writing. I, I have read I Am Legend. Um, I have read uh, What Dreams May Come. I've read some of his short stories. Like, I like how he's very practical. Like, he does write about the fantastic, but it's... He always kind of grounds it. Um, and so I was excited whenever we dug into further into his work in the Twilight Zone. Like Beaumont uh, was much more like uh, like far left field and Matheson was always more grounded in reality and it would get weird. Uh, so I felt like those two guys under Serling, Rod Serling, who was the, you know, the, the mastermind of Twilight Zone, I felt like those guys always brought like brought different things and it was a great balance. So I love Richard Matheson. Um, and I had not seen this. So yeah, I can, I can say, uh, not having read I Am Legend, um, my partner in the Saturday Night Slasher, Ryan Cassandy, uh, and maybe he would correct me, um, because maybe it's tied for first with the most dangerous game, but that's, he loves I Am Legend. It's a great it's, book. It's oh. actually something that he wishes he could adapt at some point. So, uh, he enjoys the Omega Man. He enjoys the Last Man on Earth. He was not a fan of I Am Legend, which um, is funny because that's the one that actually has the name of the book, right? <laughs> um, but uh, that's one of his all-time favorites. It's sort of one of his like sacred deers, if you will. It's sort of very special to him, and uh, I know that he would like to do something with that at some point. And I'm I'm sure that uh, you know for a lot of people. <sighs> Probably the Vincent Price film is not the one that they're going to think of. Well, it's and at this point, Omega Man's probably forty years old, also at least, right? Yeah. So, and also just to to give credit where credit's due, uh, George Romero's Night of the Living Dead is an unofficial retelling of The Last Man on Earth. So he stated that he ripped off Matheson, and Matheson, I guess, was okay with it because there was no money made on <laughs> Night of the Living Dead. So a lot of the zombie genre. Uh, owes itself to Matheson. Mm-hmm. Like I just he's he's just a good writer and he's and he's it's just good to get into and, and Stephen King was like I wouldn't I wouldn't be me without Matheson. Like there was so I I love Matheson and knowing that there was a made for TV horror anthology that I have not seen that all three stories were Matheson stories. Mm-hmm. Why hadn't I watched this yet? I don't know. Yeah. Um and also so you guys know this is available like on YouTube. Like it's it's up there and because like I don't think ABC's like clamoring for the rights for this. Like, I mean, it's it's on Amazon Prime too. Oh, that that yeah, there you go. But I I, I watched it on YouTube. Okay, I was <laughs> like, like, you can watch it on Amazon yeah, Prime. I don't know it, if it's much difference in the quality, but yeah. Well, I had to double check because the YouTube video was like seventy two minutes. I'm like, is it really that short? Yeah, it's a short movie. Yeah, I mean, it was two hours back then because they had commercials. commercials. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, just you know, this was an interesting experiment for me because it had Matheson and. The third story, which we'll get to, is his take on a different version of a story um, that he had told earlier. Mm-hmm. And I, we'll, we'll save that for a second. 
Um, but yeah, this was like air date was, um, we talked about this already, uh, March 475. Um, everything was directed. All three segments were directed by Dan Curtis, who had done a lot of actually made for TV horror films. Um, and I, I was surprised by, um, like because this was the seventies and it was a horror film and it was made for TV. Like there's a lot of like, like serious connotations to all three stories that I, I feel like you couldn't get away with on TV right now, like broadcast television, but it's something about the scripting was able to say more than show. And there's a lot of heavy themes in all three of these. Yeah. I mean, the, we'll discuss each story individually, but, uh, there's something about films made for TV in the 70s that I, I feel like I feel like in the 80s there's a bit of a homogenization that goes on with a lot of the made for TV movies. 70s TV movies kind of had balls to them. Like <laughs> yeah. I don't know how else to put it. I mean there's another one that I always think of um, which was a film called Gargoyles. Uh, it actually gotten it on VHS at uh, Dark Xmas last year. Okay. I don't know if you remember that. Um, the guy next to me was selling VHSs. Oh, no, because I remember you ended up buying me, uh, was it Beyond the Door? Yeah. The, the DVD of that I've not watched yet, which was an Exorcist uh, knockoff, because that was our year of the knockoff. I've not gotten to it. But I saw that. I'm like, holy crap, I know that name of that thing. <laughs> but yeah, that guy had like, like it was almost like a personal thing where him. He's like, I have too much of these. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I, having revisited Gargoyles recently, there's something inherently just the way the stories are told and filmed uh, that are I don't want to say spooky or scary. And matter I don't of wanna, fact, matter of fact, and I don't want to use the word realistic because the gargoyles and gargoyles are anything but. <laughs> but I will say that their use of location um, and and particularly when we get to the Zuni story, um, the way that they use the camera and the environment is far more terrifying than a lot of things that you actually see in modern movies at the time. Well, I, I feel like there's a pedigree of like, so I, you got to think like if a movie is in the theater and was in the theater forever and you it, for it to come to television took a while and it was a thing. So for these studios to actually be like, we're going to make it made for TV movie. It was something that like it, it took, it took an effort to make and it had to be like worth it. Right. And then look at the pedigree. Like you had the exorcist, you had um, the omen, you had Rosemary's baby, which I know was a little earlier, but there was these films that were like being taken very seriously. And like, it would be, this was this was the things they were chasing, so they had to have more of a serious tone. Because I feel like '70s horror, as ridiculous as it was, it did everything so straight faced. Mm. Like, and 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 that's aged very well. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, I can't disagree with that, and uh, I will say that there's the, there's no irony. No. Yeah. No, and I will say that the timeliness of, in particularly the first story. Um, is really oh the the yeah the first story it was like it it's like I feel like it was probably like terrible then but it is way worse now right like, yeah um and whew. the first story just to give a little bit of a setup uh I I kid you not it starts off with and the movie just starts we should start with that there's no credit sequence there's nothing the movie just 
Two guys sitting uh, on, on a college, college campus, campus yeah. having a conversation. Movie just starts. Um, and Karen Black, who plays the, the main character in all three stories, um, is walking by. And the two guys, one of them stops and is like, you know what? I just had a weird thought. I wonder what she'd look like without all those clothes. And the story just goes from there. Well, before even that, though, like, so, okay, we should reference Karen Black's in all three of these segments. Before that, we're like 30 seconds in. I don't what know, did but I miss? We should probably reference Karen Black as like a staple. And she even said that this film kind of shoehorned her into a. Okay, she, I She gotcha. was nominated for uh, Academy Awards before this. And I am not the most familiar with her, and I should be, but she is a known entity for genre and horror exploitation type of films. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she anchors this entire thing is awesome like so you have a trilogy of richard matheson stories but each one of them the main character is played by karen black mm-hmm. that's cool but to go to the first segment which was called julie like before they even get to her crossing the campus you have these two guys just talk and they're like oh there's so many dogs around it was like <laughs> that's true I'm like, yeah i'm like what what is going on like, and then, it, yeah, when, it reminded me of the there's a a wonderful uh, short that uh, Mystery Science Theater did. Uh, it was like a '50s like hygiene movie for like young boys and women, uh, but like of college age. Um, it it felt like a conversation that would have happened in that because they're talking about how like the one girl isn't very well put together in this uh, the yeah, short. It was. It, it, it felt uh, very much similar to that. Yeah, it was rough, and I'm like, uh, what are we getting into? <laughs> and then somehow. The segment gets worse and worse and worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we find out that he's uh, in a class that she's teaching um, and proceeds to ask her out on a date, um, th- which I always find this funny. Uh, he wants to take her to a picture. Yeah. Like, I don't know anybody in, in even back then, I don't ever remember like my mom saying like, how was the picture show? You know what I mean? Or like, <laughs> you want to go see a picture? It, it's always yeah. been a movie. So I don't know when that translation stopped or, or that uh, that term stopped being used. But I feel like by 75, it was probably a... It was on its way out the door. I would agree. And so the gentleman, his name, I think his name was Chad. Uh, this was actually Robert Burton, who was the husband of Karen Black at the time. I read in the trivia that she did not want to do this, but then he got cast. So she's like, fine, I'll do it. Oh, okay. So that gives this whole segment a weirder tilt. Yeah. Because he keeps leering and staring at her. And like, there's just times where he just turns towards her and like, he, he's cast in shadow. I'm like, this guy's a creeper. Like, yeah. I mean, it's, it's to use a term that's, that's, uh, pretty prevalent these days it's a bit rapey yeah he's a bit rapey yeah uh, you know especially when 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 he wants to go see a picture yeah yeah, it's not perverted at the drive-in yeah uh it's a vampire picture apparently which actually that it's 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 um the night stalker which was the um made for tv is it the kolchak night Stalker? i think it is and it was also directed by dan curtis i for whatever reason didn't pay attention to that i yeah um, i'll look at the trivia here real quick um so yeah i think that was another dan curtis thing so um just want to mention that uh but yeah so he ends up like convincing her to go on a date i just want to mention that in all three segments there are direct references to Karen Black's like appearance and like self-esteem. I don't know what is going on with that. It is weird. Um, yeah. Uh, let's see here. I maybe maybe I lost it here. But uh, 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure that, uh, yeah, during the Julie segment, a drive-in theater can be seen showing the Night Stalker. This is an in-joke reference to Dan Curse TV movie, The Night Stalker 72. Okay, which, starring Darren McGavin. Which I had to mention uh, on uh, the El Gore of Talk Without Rhythm is actually covering both um, Kolchak films uh, for his uh, his Halloween thing. Um, you guys should go check it out. I'm sure it's an amazing deep dive for Kolchak, which I know he loves Kolchak, and I know he's talked about Dan Stevens in, in depth, and I am not equipped to discuss about either one of those. Sure. Um, but the and word, neither am I. And that was this most recent, like his most recent episode. I feel like it's very kismet. So check it out. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny that they actually include the, uh, this and the, all that. So they go on a date, but there's a bit before they go on the date where her roommate was like, you know, if you just clean yourself up more, <laughs> yeah. if you just hoard yourself up a little bit, yeah. guys would go gra- gaga you, for you. You should pinch your cheeks and like, you know, a little bit and maybe, you know, Dress a little bit more slutty. It's fine. Stop Maybe you'll being get a man. such a school marm. Yeah. Why be a teacher? You know, yeah. like <laughs> when people can be hot for teacher. It's like, whatever. And then she's like, no, 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 no. I got to do my thing. I got to teach everybody. And then this guy convinces her to go on a date. And then they go to the drive-in. And he he puts like a, like a drug in her drink and like wipes her out. And- Which I got to say too, real quick, uh, on Karen Black's appearance. Like she's a very attractive woman. So her being dressed down in this is, is it's kind of funny in the sense that like, yeah, she's still a stunningly beautiful woman, even though she's dressed like an 1800s school mom <laughs> well considering that like uh like all three she's kind of dressed mousy on purpose yeah uh because she is a yeah like absolutely she is she is a crush like crush and a half um and you know and and, and that's she was kind of known for that I, yeah i did not know that she actually had a like semi-professional like country singing career as well I did not know that either. Yeah, she has some pipes. Like, I always, for she's, some reason, she's not a Mister S singing, you know, some Richard Cheese, but I she's will pretty say good. that uh, I, for some reason I will occasionally confuse her with Marianne Faithful, who that's fair enough. Okay, sings yeah. on uh, the Memory Remains. Remains yeah. Uh, so I have to correct myself occasionally when I'm like, you know, that's Karen Black. No, wait, that's Marianne Faithful. No, I was listening, I was trying to find like a song for the end of the episode because I was like, this is this is a weird one because it's like it's made for TV movies. So I'm like, where do you go with this? Right. And I was like, maybe I'll pick a song from the week it came out, but it was like Lady Marmalade. I'm like, I can't do that. It was because it, it was a fun song, but it didn't match this. Yeah. And then like the the week after was Loving You, and I'm like, I can't do that either because the '70s <laughs> '70s was weird, full of music. So I started looking up Karen Black songs, and she did a, like some country stuff, and she actually wrote some country music. And she's really good. It just didn't fit this. So, yeah. No, well-rounded performer. And this movie may have actually sent her on on a trajectory towards more genre-specific things. Because she was actually nominated for an Oscar before this. So, like, legitimately good actress. And she carries... I I was surprised at her... not, Not her, but, like... This is a made-for-TV film, and you can see some of that, right? But, like, the commitment that she gives to all three or four parts yeah. is so good, right? Yeah. Uh, she's very strong in all three segments. Yeah. Um, and there, there is a turn that happens at the end of this. Obviously, with all three of these, there's a sort of a, a twist, a twist yeah. ending, or what I always call, um, you know, the... Uh, the stinger, you know, the thing that comes in and says, uh, hey, this is not the story you thought you were getting. 
Um, but getting back into the story, you know, she goes to the picture with the young man, uh, and during which he drugs her and then takes her to a hotel to take photographs of her while she's asleep. Did you did you notice the name he used to check into the hotel? No, I caught I caught it whenever it happened. Um, it was uh, Jonathan Harker. Oh, I. You know what? It's a Dracula reference. Yeah, I did notice that, and for whatever reason, until you said that, I completely forgot. Which also, there there is um, an Eldritch uh, comment later too. That's also not uh, Stoker, but it's um, uh, Lovecraft. Yeah, there, yeah. But it was just like, oh, we're 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 the you know, like it's he was using a fake name, and he's like, we're the Harkers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it was fifteen dollars to rent that hotel room. Which probably still seemed high. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He takes like photos of her in various stages of undress, and he's just a weirdo and being terrible. And And, yeah, well, so then he ends up telling her like, "Oh, I took these photos, and no one's going to believe you, and all this." And then so he still goes to her classes, and it's like the darkest thing of all this. Like everything's dark and terrible. He passes a note to her in a book, and she opens it up in the class where it's like, I have some friends that want to meet you. Yeah. The implications of that is horrific. Right. Horrific. And like it doesn't get visited upon because it's a made-for-TV movie in the 70s, right. but they still stated it, though. Yeah, he's basically using the photos to blackmail her to do whatever he wants, which, you know, part of me, part of me thinks, oh, maybe it's going to be to, like get him through college or you know whatever that that ominous note is far more worse than uh far more worse it's far worse than uh anything that i had originally thought was going to be the uh the the rest of what the story would be predicated on but uh yeah the interesting thing with that too is is uh uh, it's like the middle of class. <laughs> class isn't over, but like he stands up and gives her the book, and like she reads it, and then she and she's like, "Class is missed." Yeah, and I like how everybody's like, "Why is this happening?" Right. Like, <laughs> I wonder if it has anything to do with that guy who just got up and handed her a yeah. book with a note in it. Oh, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> um. So as we come towards the end of the story, um, he's like lounging. I, I kind of get the feeling that maybe they're postcoital at this point, or. <laughs> Post rapey, I don't know. Post rapey, like, um, oh, but he's no. lounging with like his shirt open, like he's he's had his shirt off, um, and maybe they've just uh, he's peak Chad. Yeah, he's <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. Peak Chad. Um, <laughs> he's peak Chad post douche. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, conversation that they have is where he's now kind of telling her like what's going to be coming up and he's going to use her for as long as he wants. And I believe he, he seems to, to state that like it's going to be a far longer running thing than what he had originally I- initiated. Well, no, the whole thing is that he was he's put on like a record and she won't turn it off. He's like, you, you shouldn't do that. And he's like, why? It's what I want to do. I'll do whatever I want. And she's like, yeah. And she hands him a drink. He drinks it. And, and that, that this ties into the beginning of the episode when I played the intro. Um, where um, he drinks the drink because like she's serving him and he has all the power. And she's like, I'm bored. I'm bored and we're done now. And like, and he cracks open a cold one. I, I like the Foley work going on. <laughs> like, um, and uh, so as she's telling him and laying out everything going on, he's being affected by the poison that, that she put in his drink. And it was like, yep, 
this you're going to go in cardiac arrest, whatever. Um, I've had many other people, and there was one guy that was like he held my interest longer. This is what's going on, and so you find out that she was putting all this in play to get him to use him and then kill him. Yeah, she was basically playing a game, um, and she even says, you know, why do you think you had that? That unusual thought. thought about wanting to see me undress, which implied like something supernatural. Which yeah. I, but, but again, it's Matheson where a lot of where he works best is it could be, but not, mm-hmm. you know, she knew she was like sauntering by him and putting it in his head and he took advantage like, and, but he was just a terrible person to begin with. So whatever, right. um, so you don't feel bad for him. Not it's at just, all. Not it's at just all. a surprise. And you're like, Oh, I wasn't expecting this. To happen. And then she's in a, she has a scrapbook of all her, like all the other people she's done this to. Yeah. And then it ends with, uh, like a, a student showing up to be tutored. Yeah. And, and, and so it's implied that like, this is her pattern. This is what she does. I, I thought it was fun just cause the tables turned. I don't think it was laid out well. Okay. Um, but I still like her performance in this uh, because of how horrific. Because you even had, before the drugging, you had Chad hanging out in the bush staring at her. Like, <laughs> oh, like this guy is if like. anything that's creepy, it's hanging out in the bushes and staring at anyone. Yeah. I mean, Steve doesn't know this, but, it, you know, that's what that's how I encouraged him to be on the show. I uh, originally was just staring at him. I'm like, he's the one. Like, you know, and I laid the trap. <laughs> I've not been bored yet. Uh-oh. Yet. I <laughs> know. Uh, it was fun. It's just, I, I feel like it got away with way worse things in the front end of the, the segment. And then when the tables turned, which I enjoyed because Chad deserved everything coming to him. It just, it felt like a very much like just with her being like this kind of like mousy and like, oh, no, I'm not interested. I just got to like teach my students. Like That didn't feel like the turn was great, right? but I liked the comeuppance, so I was okay with it. I also want to point out that the three segments are all named after after Karen Black's character. All all three segments are actually referenced referencing her okay. as a character. So the first segment was called Julie. The next one's called Millicent and Therese. Like all three of them are focused on her as an actress. I don't know that you get any more old timey than a Millicent. Millicent. Never, never met a Millicent in my life. I feel like if I do, she's going to be either 90 years old or like a one, like, because it's hip. <laughs> handy you ribbon candy. Yeah. Has ribbon candy ever been a good candy? I do guess. You know, you know what I'm talking about ribbon candy. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. I, it depends if it's the only candy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not the choice, but I guess if there's no other candy, sure. No, ribbon candy is terrible. Um, I'm, I'll take it over a circus penis any day. Cir- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least a circus penis will taste funny. I don't know. Um, so the Millicent Therese segment. Um, is a like restrained, like tightly wound uh, sister Millicent, who is like journaling over and over again about her sister being kind of the wild one and causing all the problems. And you get the story from her perspective to a point. Yeah. Um, but you get the idea that since their father passed away, that Therese will be like just like unchained and do whatever she wants. Uh, but you also get that like because of Teresa's actions 
that the father's been like swayed forever and that led to the mother's early death. Um, it's a weird, but it's a very 70s segment. I'll just say that. Yeah. Um, what I find uh, interesting about it is, is that uh, she starts off by talking to, and I, I guess I don't want to give away the end right away, but she ends up talking to Millicent's talking to Teresa's soon-to-be fiancé or boyfriend. I, I believe that they were supposed to be married, correct? Like they're going to be married? Yeah, I think so. And she kind of breaks it off and explains to him that, you know, oh, she's going to leave you and basically break your will and all this other stuff, and she's a horrible person. And he, like, freaks out and leaves. But what I find interesting is, is when we, once we get to actually what the... Um, twist is of the story the fact that he's unable to figure it out from this conversation <laughs> is a little perplexing um because part of the twist involves a wig which i think at some point would come off uh if you were dating somebody that long but yeah that you'd be engaged um and the other thing that i wanted to i realize i'm skipping ahead because I, I okay i'm just gonna put this on the table this is my least favorite of the three um, so I probably have How the le- dare you. I have the I have the least amount to add to this, but I will say that it features George Gaines, who to me will always be Commandant Lassard from up. Police yeah, Academy. Was the, I was like, he looked familiar. I just looked him up. Yeah, like as soon as I he popped up on the screen, I'm like, he was also wasn't he also like the the he's Punky Brewster's like like foster parent father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I kept seeing him, like I know Mahoney. that guy, <laughs> Gutenberg. You know, like, um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was this whole thing where you had the tightly wound, like, um, pro- Protestant, like, not Protestant, but um, waspy, waspy, like, like sister and the wild child that kept bouncing back and forth. And I, I did like um, that. Like the way Karen Black committed to this, mm-hmm. and the way that she sold, like the the uh, Millicent portion of her versus like so. Spoiler, uh, I'm with. Who knows? I'm gonna throw this out there. Do you know why they are called spoilers? It's the same person. Um, <laughs> um, she plays both parts, and it's pretty obvious. It's like, and it's fun. Like yeah. in the sense, like like credit to her that she plays both halves very different, but you're talking about a, a, like a wig being the difference. Yes. Yeah. Like, and like, I just, it, it mental illness is probably not this way. Like, like I, I mean, I, I might have split personality. I don't know. Maybe who knows? Probably not. I do a um, Paul. I do. I do a Paul. <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's your best Paul? It's fine. I do a show with, uh, your, counterpart Saul on Saturdays and Saul, you completely forget about it. Saul Patedman. Yes. <laughs> Have I ever told you that your your doppelganger is the first letter of your first name and the last letter sorry, first letter of your last name flipped. No. So yeah, it's, so it's Saul Patedman and uh that's my doppelganger. <laughs> I had I had a roommate in uh college whose whose name was Jim Thomas. We always joked about like watch out for Tim Jamas. And we ended up watching a film at one point when one of the production people's name tim john was like oh that's your doppelganger (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i uh 
I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, gotta watch out for so, Khadib Singh. <laughs> the uh, the reveal that happens at the end of this episode, I think, is supposed to be shocking. And maybe in '75 it is, but at that point we'd already had the reveal in Psycho yeah. with Norman Bates, and it's a far better reveal, obviously. And it's a far more like poignant ending where you're seeing Norman sitting in the cell and the camera pulls away and you're hearing like them talking about him and But the, the notion that Millicent, who is like this tightly wound person, who figured out the solution is to to use like the magics and the voodoo that her sister believed in and mm-hmm. used it like a voodoo doll. Like it was like the psychosomatic like suicide. Like right. I thought that was interesting, but the whenever... that was my favorite '90s album, by the way, psychosomatic suicide. suicide. Yeah, that was uh, the um, that was uh, the Cannonballs. That's not right. That's not the, the band. <laughs> Cannonballs, no, no. the Breeders. The Breeders. It was the Breeders. <laughs> that was their album. It was in the Buzz Bin. Um, yeah, I watched it. Uh, Matt Pinfield told me about it on. Uh... <laughs> 120 minutes. minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was from um, oh Sponge. That was the <laughs> look it up. That's a band that happened. Um, no, um, yeah, it was the Breeders. <laughs> it, was, it was Kim Deal and her twin sister. They they did a uh, psychosomatic uh, like suicide. That's yeah. the name of the song. <laughs> That that feels like a Radiohead album that you'd just be really sad about. Um, <laughs> no, like so. Whatever, uh, Commandant Lassard was like, oh, this is like the most dire, like like split personality. And he pulls the wig off. It's yeah. like, ah, I get it. Like it was just like it was very heavy handed, and it. I I've not read the Matheson short story, but yeah. I feel like a short story can set up like the different perspectives because of the whole thing with Millicent like journaling. The entire time was supposed to set up like the red herring of yeah. her writing about all this. It just wasn't the most. It wasn't effectively communicated. However, I liked Karen Black's performance as both parts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I think one of her strongest scenes is when she's talking to the little girl about her broken doll and how her yeah. sister broke her doll, and she's going to go into town and get her a new doll. And it's a nice little scene that sort of, you know portrays her disgust at her sister like why would she you know just, just what does she out, gain by yeah. destroying a kid's toy you know that yeah. kind of thing um so that's a nice little scene and i do enjoy her performance but the the twist and the just i guess the sort of matter of fact way that it's just sort of like pulling a wig off <laughs> is it it leaves it, it, it leaves a little to be desired we'll put it no that it's way. not great but if it, if it's of the three segments, like it's it's it is the weakest. However, it's not it's not the worst thing I've seen in terms of anthology storytelling. Like, right. So, yeah, it 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 works. I mean, you kind of have to like like shift your expectations a little bit, but it, it was fun. I like that. Like like the sisters, quote unquote, would acknowledge each other. Like, there's the whole bit whenever um, uh, Therese walked up and like stared at the door, like to yell at her sister. Like yeah. I. Like I like that there was like the, the acknowledgement of the presence of the other. Like I thought that was mm-hmm. kind of cool, but yeah, Karen Black playing like the seductress, like honeypot for Lassard was like awkward and just disturbing. Where she's like, "Oh, don't you like girls?" Like it's like that's implying like, "Are you a virgin?" Like yeah. it's implying like a lot more things. And he's like, ah, "I need to go now." Like, <laughs> While he while he was actively aware of the split personality, yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, again, like I said, uh, it's my least favorite, but it's it's well done, and yeah. you know, for and I, I, the, the, this comes up a lot of times when we talk about anthology. Some segments are better than others. Uh, this one I just happen to like a little less than the other two. Fair enough. So, all right. So the last one we'll get into is called Amelia. Again, so we're talking about how all three are kind of like labeled after Karen Black's character. Um, I'll, I'll let you set this up. This is uh, this one's a like it is the most extreme of the three. So what I find interesting about it is is uh, so setting it up. Um, her character Amelia comes home, and she's just got a a present for a man that she's dating, who's uh, an anthropologist. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, and she opens it up, and in the the package is a Zuni fetish doll. Um, and I believe there's a card attached to the doll that says something along the lines of like the chain that is wrapped around this doll binds the doll to its owner or something along those lines. Like it, it it's like a warning, but also like telling you that um, removing the chain will unleash the power of this Zuni doll kind of thing. Yeah. Um, she then goes into having a very long conversation with her mother over the phone. Again, doing the very, like, I don't want to say, uh, oh, the, the word, the word just literally fell out of my head. A, um, but you're a writer and you write the, the, your comics. So right. So no, um, I was trying, I was actually having this discussion with my brother recently cause he started listening to the show and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I could write far better than, uh, my off the cuff remarks on the show, but I feel like um, I'm a much better talker than I am anything else. So but, see, I feel but, like I'm terrible as t- at the talking part. Well, I'll carry it. It's fine. So. And, 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 um, but I feel bad for you cause I'm super drunk, right which is now, really so. the way to, you know, uh, position your podcast. I'm terrible at talking. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to me for two hours. Um, oh, I, I, you know, we didn't even get into I, about the weekend. A, a, a brief aside: I watched that a Paul Rudd series, "Living with Yourself." Okay, and he described it as the cornhole of television, <laughs> like, <laughs> meaning as in it's very short. You can just like have fun. And but he called it the cornhole of television. <laughs> I feel like we're the cornhole podcast where it's like, eh, whatever, it's fine. <laughs> no, um, no, but with her, so. So credit to Karen Black. I was reading the trivia, the the segment that she basically this whole segment of Amelia is a one person show. Yeah, it's a one act play, right? And the whole thing of her talking to her mother about like hanging out like that night, whenever her like the person she's dating, it's his birthday. Like she actually wanted to change the dialogue to make it sound like the mother was more foreboding and like, like, yeah, the mother certainly seems to have some sort of, uh, grip on her life, but you don't hear the mother at all. You just hear Karen Black's reaction. So I think that's what you're speaking to is that her, her performance leans into, she is on her own. She has her own apartment. However, she still is beholden to her mother and you get that from the conversation. And there's like this grasp that's like strangling her the entire time. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah, so she continues to have this conversation with her mother about um, not going out with her on Friday night because she wants to go out with him. It's his birthday, um, and she'll see her. I think she says, you know, I'll see you Saturday or something along those lines. But They, like, talk, like, three nights a week or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I also get the, the, if I remember correctly, she states that uh, 
it, right now she's in a temporary position in the sense that um, she's just recently moved away from her mother, not in the sense that uh, it's a very it's short a term lease. thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so as she finishes up her phone call with her mother, who's overbearing, overbearing was the word I was looking for earlier. Um, You're a wordsmith. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm a cocksmith. <laughs> Um, the, uh, the, the, again, I just lost it. The conversation ends, Karen Black walks away and she's in like a bathrobe. Like she's either getting ready for the evening or, um, I wasn't quite sure where we were in the night. No, because because she had this conversation with her mother and that was, I thought, I thought it was very clear that like her mother was upset, but she's like, no, I'm going to hang out with this dude. And I bought him this weird doll, and right. we're we're going to spend the night, and we're going to you know it's going to get weird. You it's know, his it's birthday, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so I thought that's where we were, and then she hung up the phone and grabs the doll, uh, and then as she sets it down, the the chain falls off the neck of the doll, which implies from what she said previously that 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 was what was keeping the spirit of this uh, previous Zuni hunter away from the doll, like from like, like articulating. And then it, then we fade to black and she's in the tub and she's getting out and, um, she is w- like getting ready for the night, but she calls the guy and was like, Oh, my mom wants to hang out. I'm like, that's not what you resolved. Right. Or whatever. So she chickens out and tells the guy like, Oh, it's my mom. We're going to hang out, whatever. And hangs with the phone. And then she looks on the coffee table where the doll was it's gone. And I liked that she was like searching under the couch. And there's that moment where you have that person talking to yourself yeah. where she's like, Oh, what's going on here? And she finds the spear and she's like, Oh, I found that. I liked, it was very human of this, like talking to yourself of like, where could you have gone to? Yeah. And, and then it just becomes a siege story of like, Oh, this doll's alive and is now like actively hunting you. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole thing just shifts and the tone shifts and it becomes the story of like surviving. Yeah. And I mean, there are a couple of things that I think work really well with it. I think the fact that we get the Zinni dolls perspective a lot of the time as the camera. Yeah. Um, coming at Karen Black as opposed to them. I mean, there are shots where they're either using a puppet or some sort of because I don't think there's any stop motion. No, Maybe I'm wrong. There's no stop motion. Um, they're, they're, but credit to Dan Curtis for showing the doll working, doing doing what's doing and attacking, but just keeping it brief enough where you're like, is that what happened? Like right. you, there's a bit where she goes to drown in the bathtub and you see like the arm come over the edge, and it's like it's just like a half second, mm-hmm. because otherwise it would look like a like a doll coming over right. the edge, and it just kept. Like it was just onslaught of this doll attacking her, where the spear was gone. However, it there was a whole bit earlier where she was like preparing like like some like meat in the oven, and she had like her um, rack of knives, and one of them was missing. And now the doll has a knife, so you know that. Yeah. And when it approaches her and starts stabbing at her with the knife versus the spear that he had, it 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 it's very rough. But it's also that she's barely dressed you know it's not like she's wearing like jeans or you know even shoes that would be something to like protect her um she's got this tiny thing 
coming at her with a knife and it's cutting at her like ankles and her uh, calves. And I know that this is a minor thing, but I want to give this whoever did the the uh, the blood for this episode or this this TV movie, I guess we should say. It's some of the most realistic blood I think I've seen oh, in oh, a movie. Oh, oh, yeah. Uh, simply because, like, we've all seen movies where it's like, that's too red, or that's too thick, or that just doesn't look real. Like, there's, we've all cut ourselves and know instinctively what that looks like. Um, and the blood looks, for a TV movie made in the 70s, it looks realistic. Yeah. So. When she eventually traps the thing in a, like a suitcase and he starts cutting his way out, and her solution is, I'm going to try to pinch the blade. <laughs> like, yeah, that's not very smart, but it's effective when she traps him in the, the suitcase. Seeing him try to cut his way out is, is horrible. Right? Yeah. But when she's trying to grab the blade as it's like shooting up, like if she cuts herself, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, why would you do that? But it's like, oh, that hurt. Yeah. Like it just. Yeah, because there's also a moment where she runs into the bathroom where the bathtub is, and she's like wiping the blood off. Even that, I was like, "Wow, oh, that looks well, real." Yeah, she's dead. We've she's all pushing her hands into the bathtub, trying to like you know clear the blood off her hands. Yeah, yeah. Because um, we've all cut our our hands and like done that, and we know what happens with the blood. It looked, I just oddly realistic, which is a weird compliment to give to this, but it felt real, and I think it, that realism adds to the story and the believability that this thing's actually coming at her. Yeah. Um, the gibberish coming out of its mouth is weird. Sure, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the the. I want to say the doll feels like vaguely racist, but at the same time, like, not. Yeah. Because it's a caricature on purpose. Like, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, oh, this is good, like, the entire time. <laughs> So this doll's laying siege to her, and she's trying to, like, you know, battle it out. And it eventually comes where, like, you know, she's, like, trying to call the cops. She's like, I'm being attacked, and she can't articulate why. Yeah. It's like, Just yeah. come. Yeah. Why? There's a doll stabbing me. That's not the right answer. Right. It's just, you know, I would just, just say, someone's attacking me, and I've been stabbed. And now the cops are coming. I don't know if you can hear that in the uh, <laughs> distance, but we've got sirens coming at us. It's because of the Christine car that Steve bought me a couple episodes ago. It's coming after me right now. There you go. Yeah. I'm looking off to my right. Where's it? <laughs> it's gone. Oh, no. Um, no. But no, this this whole thing was like, it, it, it just once you finally got into the nitty gritty of this thing attacking her, it was it was great. Like, and like, it just kept going. And there, it was limited by being a low budget and, and TV's budget and how do you articulate a doll attacking? I think it handled it the best it could. So, I mean, here's the thing, though. When it comes to if the things that you would hold against it being like, oh, it's a TV movie. Oh, it was made in 1975. The things that, you know, you would say, oh, we should be able to do this better now. Um, and this is not me at all, like... Uh, I was going to say attacking, but that's not really the word either. This is not me shitting i guess on the new child's play movie the the reboot but that movie was made in 2019 i don't know that i ever got as visceral a moment okay as some of the moments that happen in this tv movie from 1975 well and like there's those wonderful low angle shots of the thing like, like the camera pushing towards karen black mm -hmm. that you can tell sam raimi watched and was like i'm gonna take that right like, 
like there there are some really like disconcerting shots of that and then like the bits where she was in the bathroom where the knife was climbing under the door and like jabbing 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 like that's all good like no doubt and then eventually when she is able to take the doll and throw it in the oven <laughs> and set it on a fire but then there's a whole bit where she like vapes it all in like and yeah. she just absorbs it uh and there's the nice like turn at the end of her talking to her mother like come on over and then she's hunkered down taking the knife that she has and stabbing the floor like savagely and then she smiles and has like the sharpened edges of the teeth as her being the like it's it's whatever this is the zuni warrior spirit is now on her that it's great yeah and knowing also reading the trivia she suggested the teeth <clears throat> like like she really was she guided this whole segment um to make it more effective i respect that so to tie this back in to our talk of matheson and his writing for the twilight zone um so there was an episode of twilight zone it was um season two episode 15 the invaders which dealt with agnes moorhead as the protagonist and she was like this lady living in like a wooden, like like a, like a a wooden shed, just you know whatever, living her life. And she was assaulted by these like tiny figures, which I I know you've seen the episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's an amazing episode, um, and <laughs> it's great because Agnes is more Agnes Moorhead's character doesn't speak at all. Like she makes noises. There's she doesn't say a line in the episode. And eventually you learn what's going on. Um, and and Matheson didn't like the portrayal of this. So he ended up like turning into a short story called Prey. And then he wrote the screenplay for this segment of Trilogy of Terror. The other two were based off his stories, but this is the one he actually wrote the screenplay for. He won another whack at it. Um, after watching this and then knowing The Invaders, which I think is one of my favorite episodes of the twilight zone it's mm-hmm. it's it's great um like i can appreciate what he was going for i still feel like the invaders was like a better presentation of this assault that's my hot take from 60 years ago this is some weird out time like, <laughs> like <laughs> um, all right and and uh i mean i can't argue with you on that i just uh i think um i think douglas hayes was a better director for the segment and the twilight zone Versus um, uh, Dan Dan Collins, um, Dan Curtis, Dan Curtis, whatever. I, I yeah, I just. But again, these are different stories. But the idea of a, like a smaller figure besieging a standalone female character that runs through, you know. But it's effective. I liked it. It just I I like the invaders more. That's that's my take on that. All right, and that's the end of the show, folks. All right, guys, we're done now. No, <laughs> no like this was for a made-for-TV film, and reading about everybody reacting to this last segment of like the Zuni fetish doll attacking, like everyone's like, "This is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life." It's like it scarred people. Yeah, and this is a lot for a made-for-TV film that was showing like and and like not like not Halloween time. Like it was like it was shown. Uh, in March, like on TV, and people were still messed up by this third segment. That says a lot for the film and for Matheson's story. 
Yeah, I mean, I I know that there's a trilogy of terror too. I have not sought that out. Uh, not out of any sort of like, oh, I've heard it's terrible, or you know, uh, any sort of uh, ill will towards the first. I just haven't gotten around to it. I'm hoping maybe there's some nice surprises in that as well. Um, but at the time that I watched this, it was a complete surprise. It was. Yeah. I'd heard people talk about it, but it was also something that I hadn't really. I don't know that I'd even given it much thought prior to sitting down and watching it. So, yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. So thank, thank you for um, mentioning it, and for me, like being like, we're just going to watch this because I love Matheson, and I just I felt like this was like part of my shame list for everything I've loved about him, and and credit to Karen Black um, for her four roles in this. She definitely anchors this and carries it, and mm-hmm. she feels distinctly different amongst the four. Like, unless she's wearing a wig. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Um, no, I, I liked like this a lot, and I know we talked about the story uh, beat for beat for beat. If you've not watched this, watch it. It's like it's like seventy two minutes of breezy easy watch. Yeah, it's worth your time, and all the stories, for better for worse, like. They're solidly put together, mm-hmm. like they are. The first story is like super rapey and it's weird, but it, it, like the way it wraps up is is fine. And second story is just kind of like, I feel like it's the most seventies of all this, where it's like, sure. oh, we don't understand pl- split personalities. This is what's happening. But the last one is a lot of fun, and I'm glad we watched it for the show. I'm not, but no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you pushed me on this and said you wanted to watch it. So, yeah. So, all right. So, Trilogy of Terror, recommend watch it. It's on YouTube. It's on uh, Amazon Prime. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. And I feel like it fits very well in with our anthology uh, Halloween. So, yes. And also, seek out more Richard Matheson. The guy's written a lot that we like. Yeah. I, I got nothing else. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna move on to uh, we're gonna move on to our game, which Steve doesn't know anything about. Before we do that, we're gonna plug everything that we're a part of. You guys can find us on Invasion of the Podcast. Uh, we're on Facebook, invasionpodcast.com, where there's a blog that has not been updated since July. That's on me. I feel like November is gonna be a strong uh, blog month for uh, the year of canon. We'll get back to it. I promise. November is uh, your comeback month. It's, yeah, sure. It's going to be full of turkey and cannon. That's what's going to happen. Um, and you guys can find us on uh, wherever you get your podcast. It'd be like Stitcher, uh, Podbean, um, Google Music, uh, Apple Podcast. Wherever you find find us, rate and review us. That would be wonderful. And how can people find you, Steve? You can find me at the Saturday Night Slasher.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the Saturday Night Slasher. And if you want to buy, uh, say, a copy of the comic, as well, uh, you should. And or maybe some stickers or some cool art or something fun, you can visit our Etsy store, The Art of the Slash, on Etsy. Perfect. All right. So we're going to move on to the game that Steve has no idea what's coming. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so, knowing that, like we were just talked about, like you know, the the problems of like having films overseas, um, 
I decided to do a game of I'm going to give you a title from a film that was translated overseas, and you're going to tell me what that film was. Oh, nice. Most of these are horror films. Um, I'll give you some hints as we go along, but I want, I want to tell you the title. You're going to tell me what you think the film is. Okay. How about that? All right. So the first one is, he's a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> is it dri- driving Miss Daisy? No, um, uh, Casper. Yes. It's not Casper. It is uh, Ghost Dad with Bill <laughs> Bill Cosby. He's a rape ghost. <laughs> That's not right. Um, no, this is a a um, late nineties, early two thousand film. Um, He's a ghost. Uh, a Sixth Sense. Yes. That was the title in China. <laughs> that and it just it, gives away the entire twist. Yeah, he's a ghost, exclamation point. <laughs> he's dead the entire yeah. movie. Um, so they they also handle like like death differently than we do. So I know I play a lot of World of Warcraft. And so there's a lot of times where they had to change some of the, the different models and text to kind of like like change because like skeletons are kind of like forbidden. Like it's this whole thing where they had to like, it was just become like they had to change the game like a lot to get it released in China. But I like the idea. He's a ghost. All right. Here's the next one. This is from Japan. Captain supermarket. Captain supermarket. Um, It's It's a horror comedy. It's a horror comedy. Oh, Shaun of the dead. No, that's really? a good call. That's a really good call. It is Army of Darkness. Captain, wow. S- Shop smart. Shop, Shop S-smart. smart. Yeah. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, this one, um, I'll just say here as I open this uh, uh, white claw because there's no laws. This is a Nicolas Cage film. Um, it is not Ghost Rider. I will okay. say that. <laughs> this is from Thailand. The title is Super Speeding Cleaning Evil Accounts. Oh my god. Yeah, it's from early 2000s. You may have not seen this film, but I love the title. I'm the only one that I can think of because I don't really know that it qualifies as a horror movie because it's a serious drama is Bringing Out the Dead. (laughs) I don't know if you've seen that movie. I have. Okay. Um, that was one of the last um, Laserdisc titles actually published. Was it really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, this is uh, this is Ghost Rider kinda. It is uh, Drive Angry. It is uh, oh. super speedy cleaning evil accounts. I've got that movie on the list. I have not watched that. It's one. a lot of fun. I I I, I recommend it. Um, all right, this is it's a comedy, but it's a horror movie comedy. It's from like this is the title from Quebec. It is called Film of Fear. Film of Fear. Um, it's a spoof. Scary movie? Yes. That's exactly right. All right. Um, all right. Next one. This is from uh, France. The Teeth from the Sea. <laughs> the Teeth from the Sea. Um, the Teeth from the Sea. Jaws? Yes. You're absolutely right. It is Jaws. All right. This is not a horror film, but the title makes me laugh. It's from Spain. This dead person is very alive. It's from the <laughs> 80s. It is a comedy. Weekend at Bernie's? Yes, that's right. <laughs> this dead person is very alive. What are you guys going to see tonight? We're going to see uh, this dead, dead person, person is, is very alive. alive. 
All right. This is also not a horror film. However, the title is amazing. It's from China. It's a Ridley Scott film. Satan, female soldier. Uh, it's a Ridley Scott movie. Sorry, no, not Ridley Scott. It's um, maybe it's Ridley Scott or his brother, Tony Scott. Maybe either G. way. G.I. Jane. Yes, I think that's Tony Scott, but it I'm not probably sure. Right. Satan, female soldiers. The name of the film. Why Satan? I don't know. I don't know. If you just call it female soldier, it'd be fine. Yeah. Um. All right. Next one. This is from Latin America. It didn't give me an exact country. There's a couple of these from Latin America. It's called Extermination. You're going to be like, oh, I don't know what that is. Um, it is a zombie film um, that has a time frame. Extermination. A zombie film with a time frame. Early 2000s. 2000s. Um, has Cillian Murphy. Oh, 28 Days. Later. Later. Yes. 28 Days of Sandra Bullock film. <laughs> I know, but I always confuse the two. Yeah. All right. So this next one is also from Latin America. It is a horror from the 90s. I'll just, here's the full title. Scream, keep an eye on who's calling. <laughs> is it Scream? Yes. What? Why would you just call it Scream? I don't know. Why would you add additional things on that? All right. This one is not a horror film, but it has horror elements. Uh, it is a beloved family film. Okay. It's from Latin America. The title is Jack's Weird World. Jack's Weird World. Um, wow. Jack's Weird World. It's an animated film. James, no. I was going to say James of the Giant Peach, <laughs> and I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. Jack's Weird World. Uh, family friendly. It's Space Jam for goths. I, I, I don't know what Space <laughs> Space Jam for goths means. Because uh, if you'd have told me that, I would have been like, I still don't know what movie that is. Uh, Paranorman. I don't Par know. That's you know that's not a bad choice, but earlier than Paranorman, I'll just say that. Um, Casper. The, <laughs> the Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh. Yeah, how did I not get that? Yeah, all right, a few more here. <laughs> Latin America, it's a comedy. Uh, death suits her. Death becomes her? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, why wouldn't you just use the title? Like, yeah. That doesn't make sense. All right, a couple more here. This, this one from China. Uh, Superpower Dare Die Team. Superpower Dare Die Team. Um... I don't know. A couple years ago, it's not like 2016. Um, it's a film that was uh, met with harsh criticism here in the states. It's a horror film adjacent. Um, it does deal with ghosts. Superpower Dare Die Team. Was it the 2016 version of Ghostbusters? Yes, that was. Yes. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I got nothing. What if I put superpower power, dare die team, answer the call? What if, how would you feel about that? <laughs> that would have made yeah. more sense. All right. Um, I don't have a date for this, but it was mid-90s. Um, this is from Israel. The Eighth Passenger 3. <laughs> it is the third film in the series. And it's called The Eighth Passenger. 
Um, Final Destination? No. We did talk about this on the podcast earlier. I'll just throw, like, not we talk episode, about it? Okay. Not this episode, but we did do an episode entirely about the 8th Passenger 3. The 8th Passenger 3. Uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3? No. Uh, Alien 3. Oh. Yeah. What the hell was it called? The 8th Passenger? I don't know. I don't know. That doesn't even make any sense. This last one's from Poland, and it's my favorite title of all of them. The Electronic Murderer. <laughs> Lawnmower Man? <laughs> no. No, it, it's from the 80s. Oh, Shocker? <laughs> no. that's not No, not far off. But uh, it is the Terminator uh, that is the Electronic Murderer. <laughs> I need to uh, make note of some of these uh, so that, like, when I'm, like, putting things in the background of the comic, I can, like, put up a fake please, poster. Please, 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 please. If you could just do this, <laughs> the, the teeth from the sea. Um, especially, like, I, I can't... They're actually all kick-ass, like, album names. Yeah, the dead person is very alive. Um, yeah, I just thought you... He's a ghost! Um, Captain Supermarket. I just... <laughs> That's so weird. I want to see like an Army of Darkness poster now with Captain Supermarket. Um, I was looking up like when I was looking up all these different titles because I thought that'd be a, kind of a fun thing. Um, for as good as it gets, I guess Jack Nicholson's character uh, translates in like Chinese or Japanese to Mister Cat Poop, his character <laughs> in, this, in the movie. So you see posters with Jack Nicholson that says Mister Cat Poop. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> mr cat poop yeah um there there's so much here like look up the diehard films it's ridiculous how <laughs> they don't translate well so i just yeah there we go i just <laughs> thought you would appreciate um all of these translations being poorly uh represented yeah those are those are pretty amazing yeah so, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about the film Trick or Treat, uh, which we've talked about years. I'm going to look it up. It is um, 10 years old, I think, at this point. Yeah, I think it's 2009. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. Um, I am not going to do well here. Uh, there we go. 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah, it is uh, um, written and directed by... Um, Michael Doherty? Yeah, that's uh, absolutely right. Um, we're going to be, I figured that'd be the best thing to end on Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, I think I said this at the end of the last episode. Uh, this is sort of the movie now that it's, it's the Christmas story of, uh, of Halloween, I think. Yeah. Um, Cause it's also set in Ohio and, um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I think that people now associate this movie with the holiday in the way that, uh, like I know Fear Net's no longer a thing, but, uh, they did for a while there while they were still up and running. 24 hours of running this movie like how tbs would oh, do wow. 24 hours okay. of the christmas story very similar thing where i think people now think of his movie as sort of uh symbolizing what the holiday is okay yeah we'll talk about trick-or-treat there's a lot of fun there and it will be uh great to get into it it will round out our spooky october anthology film so Hope you guys enjoy us uh, next week. I hope you guys enjoyed this talk. And again, check out Trilogy of Terror. It is available on Amazon Prime or YouTube. It is easily found and it is worth your time. Karen yeah. Black is awesome in all of this. And yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and 
Uh, thank you for mentioning it, and thank you for uh, me for wedging it into October. <laughs> I'd like to thank me for being me. Yeah, thank. I want to thank me for flying me airlines. Uh, <laughs> that but, would be a Mystery Science Theater 2000 yes. reference. <laughs> All right. Hope you guys have a good week, and we'll see you next week for uh, Trick or Treat. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. You take a drag, I take a sip I want your legendary kiss You know I got designer taste And your design's too good to waste When the bees come so tonight Yeah, it always wants a bite And I try, try to resist But then the devil always wins Yeah.